G'day folks, it is AOS Coach here. I hope you're all doing well and I have got a special little round table that we're going to be doing today. Uh, I am joined by many of the representation of um, Team Australia. So I've got Michael Clark, I've got Peter Orkman, Orkman uh, and I've also got the captain, uh, captain, but also the, the, the mayor of Dubbo, Matt Tyrrell. And um, we're going to talk about AOS Worlds. Uh, AOS Worlds is a tournament that has been kicked off. It's happened for a few years in a row. It has a history of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And this is the first time the Australia team has actually represented in the Age of Sigma tournament. So I thought we'd all catch up, have a bit of a roundtable and discuss what was it like? Because I know as somebody who hasn't gone to the Worlds, I have a lot of questions. Who gets picked? How much preparation and practice gets involved? Is it just six games of Age of Sigma or does stuff happen, you know? And I guess that's kind of what today will be all about. Just really, what is it? And if someone is thinking about applying maybe for next year, because I reckon so much between my Discord and Twitter, there was so much FOMO. There were so many people watching the live streams, chatting, just going, man, I wish I was there. That looks like so much fun. But gents... How was it? How was the AOS Worlds? It was in Prague, by the way, uh, and it happened in May, just to kind of level set for everybody. So just overall, Clarky, how was it? Oh, it was it was amazing. It was it was everything we could wish, other than our final result, which we'll end up getting through to. We, we got very close to the sun, but uh, fell away. But uh, other than that, it ticked every box. It was so amazing just walking into that. Walking into the hall as we as we landed uh, straight off the plane into the hall and and then playing the ashes and there was just a roar of of two or three hundred people with, with the singles event wrapping up and and, it was, and everyone in their shirts and it was amazing. Matt and by the way, I've got plenty of photos that I'm going to bring up as we discuss so I can kind of help kind of paint the picture of what Worlds is all about. But I, by the way, I'll probably moderate a little bit just so everyone doesn't talk over each other and then you go, I go, you go, I go. Um, but Clarky, you know, great experience first off. Uh, Mayor, I might go over to you given that you are the captain. And then I'll rope Orkman in because Orkman actually is an Australian. He represented the Australia yeah. team and he was actually brought into the culture of Vegemite and Tim Tam. So I'd love to hear as well, like, what was his experience? Like, what, what is the, the crazy Aussies? Meh. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I had the same experience as Clarky uh, rocking up. I rocked up a day early and then on the on the Wednesday afternoon, walked in to watch some of the singles action. Um, and upon walking in there, I met, I met a bunch of people that I've met over Discord in your Discord, Coach, um, just playing online tournaments on TTS and all these world tournaments. And I've got people coming up to me and saying, oh, it's Matt, and then introducing themselves with their real name. And I've got, oh, I've got no idea who you are. What's your name on uh, Discord? <laughs> it was the only way I know half the people on there. But, um, no, it was a, it was a really big build-up. Uh, Clarky and myself were two of the original ETC team that was named uh, over two years ago now. So we've had a long slog of, of, of waiting to finally get there with COVID and everything else. Um, so it was a, it's a been a very long build-up. Um, as the missus probably has a, <laughs> could tell you, she's a bit sick of me being on my phone all the time chatting to the team and you know, talking lists and all that sort of stuff. So it was good to finally, finally come to a penultimate end and and get there and and you know and just perform at our best. Um, 
so yeah, no, it was it was definitely definitely something that I've always wanted to do. I think it's it's one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. I don't know if I'll be able to go again just just for family reasons and 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 all that sort of stuff. But um, I, I was glad to to be able to share it with the the other seven guys that we got to share it with, and they're all all great lads. So yeah, it was a good time. Now that's really cool because you're right. Like I remember talking to Liam when Liam was in the original team um, at the first Age of Sigma Australian team. And there was obviously a lot of build up and you guys were practicing and then COVID hit that kind of delayed and obviously Australia kind of closed off their borders. So as much as I, I know you would have liked to have attended, um, you just weren't allowed to attend. And, you know, as you said, you know, oh, there's a lot of cost involved. What was it? 20 hours approximately. How long would it take you to get from Australia to Prague? Uh, yeah. So my, my day was uh, really long. It was, I had a, like a, it's an hour flight from Aubrey to Sydney. And then I had a, uh, I think it was an 11 hour, a 10 hour um, stopover in, in Sydney. And then it was a 14 hour flight to Abu Dhabi and then a three hour stopover and then another seven hour flight. I flew to London because I wanted to spend some time over there. So uh, by the time I got to London, it was about 1.30 in the Arvo, so I had to stay up to try and beat the jet lag. So by the time I got to bed that night, I hadn't slept on the plane. It was about 40 hours of uh, being awake. So, And most of that time, you're just sitting, you know, you're sitting upright in a, in a small, tight, uncomfortable chair, and it's just, it's definitely not fun. Like, I, I, I'm not looking forward to doing any international travel anytime soon after that flight. So, yeah, it, it's a long time. Clucky, similar experience, a little bit different for you? Yeah, well, I flew, luckily, I got a direct flight from Melbourne to uh, Dubai and then only a two-hour layover straight into Prague, so I skipped a couple of steps. But uh, my, my extra challenge was added in that uh, I walked off the plane. Uh, Dave landed at the same time and we grabbed a car in together. We uh, literally got to the hotel, checked in, and Matt's like, ashes is starting right now. And so we're straight into the unpack our shit as quick as possible and straight to roll dice straight away, like blurry-eyed after 24-hour flight. It was, uh, yeah, it was a bit mad <laughs> that first night. We'll get into that soon, but I want to go to the men who didn't have much of a trip because I've done that trip. I've gone to Malta and it's like, you know, you go to Dubai. I was lucky enough to um, uh, be a frequent flyer and like a very high frequent flyer with Qantas. So I get to go into the business lounge, have a shower, have something to eat, just feel like a human. But Peter, Orkman, you didn't have a far trip. So you're not based in Australia. You are from? I'm from Hungary. So this was indeed uh, pretty nice. And, you know, it was quite funny because, as, as Matt said, people, it was really, a, 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 first of all, it was an amazing event, just to reflect back to the original question, just very briefly. And it was one of the rare occasions when you go to somewhere, concert, whatever, and you have very high expectations, and it's still exceeded these very high expectations. So that's that's probably how I would describe my overall experience about the event. But just going back to this uh, topic, some people were coming to me and saying, oh man, that's really cool that you traveled from the other side of the world. And I was, I was driving four hours and on a highway and it was <laughs> very nice. So so yeah, so I'm from Hungary. So maybe just very briefly how I get into the team, maybe that can be a good occasion. So f first of all, it's, it's interesting that um, Prague Open is actually a, an annual event, so that was already on my on my radar because from my my place we have a very small community, 
we don't even we, we not realistically can field even a worse team. But the Sprague Open is is basically the only two-dayer event where I can go just let's say on a on a relatively easy way and attend a and, and a good tournament. And when I learned that the AOS Worlds will happen to be in Prague, which kind of up, basically upgrade from a normal GT to a Worlds, I was really hyped. And I was definitely okay. I go to the singles events. I will meet all my TTS buddies because there is no tournaments in Hungary, so I mainly play in TTS. And then after this was almost like a logical step that uh, since I just knew so many people even met with, played with these folks, they were just asking me, "Hey, why don't you join the team?" Because I guess they they were like lacking a, lacking a person. So 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 for me it was a really it, it wasn't a really huge commitment in a sense that. Either even if there's no words, <laughs> I would have gone to Prague, maybe the you know, in a different time slot. And it was just really amazing that instead of the singles, which would have been fun, I'm sure, I, I could just experience this whole team event, which is just uh, just mind-blowing. No, that's awesome. Um, couple of quick ones just from the chat. First off, we will definitely so Gator Ale's mentioning about chess clocks or sand tiners. <laughs> that's something that I would I do want to call out because Chess clocks were introduced, so I'd love to hear your experience down the track. Um, and Tomo, Michael Thompson, mentioning um, what's the chances of Australia holding the Worlds. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, there is actually the, the event's not always in Prague. Um, the event no, can rotate. No. Uh, well, I might as well pass it yeah. to Mark, uh, Matt. Yeah, so essentially um, anyone, any, any um, current captain uh, country can bid to have Worlds. So essentially... We could be bidding right now for next year's uh, Worlds event. Uh, the issue with that is uh, a lot of these countries uh, that are uh, that are coming to the event don't have a lot of money. Um, and look, they were a lot of them were complaining about the the forty dollar charge for a, a chess clock, for example. Let alone um, having to spend two thousand, three thousand dollars to to fly to Australia. So I, I think the the biggest issue at the moment is if we were to have the event, we'd probably only have half a dozen teams rock up, um, which essentially, look, you, you just can't do a Worlds event like that. Um, as sad as it is to say, I think we just, as as a people, we just got to realise, well, you know, Europe, Europe's, everyone in Europe can drive to where they need to. It takes them barely any time. Uh, they don't need to spend thousands of dollars on flights. Um, and, yeah, it, it's... Unfortunately, I don't think Australia will be having having worlds anytime soon for that that main reason. I think. No, I mean you look at the, when you look at who <clears throat> attended this year. So there was twenty two teams that attended this year. There was a couple of teams that had also had to pull out for certain reasons. Um, I know Canada had a team that had to pull out. Uh, I think Ukraine had a team. There was a few other teams that Russia. either were aspiring. Yeah, Russia was another one. There's a whole bunch of teams that either were aspiring to or had. And had to have a late drop but there were 22 teams across the board majority of them were coming from um from europe you had america you had you know england and ireland and germany and belgium and netherlands and malta and you had all these countries that you know let's be as you said let's be clear europe is really easy to get to especially like when you can catch a train from england to france in an hour yeah. You know, it's so easy. So I think the reality is going to be that. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But more importantly, why on earth would you go to the Worlds Tournament? Why would you, Clarky? why would you, Matt, spend all of this yeah. money going to a team's tournament? Matt, I, I might I, throw it to you first as the captain, and I'll throw it to Clarky yep. next, and then Orkman, 
your, your couple of hour drive. <laughs> uh, so essentially myself, um, so let's turn back the clock back to ETC. Um, the reason for it was I just won um, Masters at the time and I guess the, the next logical step uh, is to try and be the best in the world, I guess. Um, and and I applied for the Australian team to to, to try try and do that to to compete against the best in the world, um, just to test myself um, as a player. Uh, so back then it was yeah, that, I was keen for that. Um, I'd paid for my <laughs> I'd paid for my flights just before COVID hit, so uh, I was given credit for my flights. Thank thankfully but which made this time around paying for flights a little bit cheaper but it was still quite expensive um considering flights had pretty much doubled in price since before covid uh so th- look yeah per- it was just a personal thing i'd, I'd like playing at a world's event is uh, is like the penultimate experience i guess um you know you can play in your local gts around here but playing at worlds was um a completely different it, it, essentially, after playing at Masters, I feel like it was like you were playing a Masters game every single round, uh, essentially, like it was the best of the best um, in every event. So, yeah, that, that was my reason for it. Cool. And just for anyone who is joining from outside of Australia, the Masters is like a best of the best top 16 tournament in Australia that wraps up, uh, rounds up our you know our competitive season. Clucky, same thing as you. Like, why did you drop all the thousands uh, of dollars and travel halfway around the world to play a game of Warhammer when you could just do it on TTS? Nah, I, uh, the big one for me was this was an opportunity to represent my country. I, I'm, uh, I'm not particularly uh, physically orientated around uh, ever going to represent a team sport at the Olympics. I'm never going to do anything like that, uh, <laughs> as uh, many of us in this uh, in this hobby. But this is my chosen sport. I, I view it in a lot of ways as a sport, and I, I know it's a hobby as well. And and um, uh, I, I like that it's progressively becoming more organised in leagues and functions and masters competition, GTs, and and then ultimately the worlds. It, it's sort of quasi professionalising it as a sport and legitimising it as a as a legitimate competitive event. This is my chosen hobby and sport, and I got to represent my country. And, and when I uh, put the application in, I, uh, and then got picked for the team, I was just like blown away. I, I was so excited when the, the Sam handed out the shirts, and we got the team photos as representing the country. Uh, that that was my big thing. And I imagine this is very true of everyone who represented, whether they represented for whatever country, you know, an opportunity to compete, best of the best, an opportunity to, um, you know, to 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 meet people to represent you know it's just it's just awesome I think uh, I definitely got FOMO but Orkman why did you not only play Worlds but why would you represent with Australia when you could play for any other country um, or or we we just like the only team that had like a, a free opening and we're taking anyone like what was your so experience I, I believe so first of all this was like kind of a coincidence that for me it was like a very easy trip and I get invited. Uh, but uh, definitely what, what, what I learned from even just playing on TT is that the team tournaments are just a completely different level. And when, when you uh, go to a, a world championship, that, that's already a huge prestige. And you know that all the, all, all the big names, you're just checking the results from the statistics or the apps or BCP or just looking the list. All, all these people will be there. And that, that was just a, it's just a huge appeal. 
And for me, um, yes, I'm I'm not uh, representing my country, but uh, I still have the dream that one day maybe we'll have a team Hungary, and it will just will be a really good experience for me. And perhaps, probably not next year, but um, doing some some stuff just to build up the community. Maybe in a few years we can have a team, and that that will be really great. That I'm not just uh, trying to figure stuff out on the spot, but I will have a if if I ever <laughs> make it, we have a good idea of what's what's happening. So so that was just really like a win-win-win situation for me. That I and it's, it's a huge honor, of course, that uh, you guys uh, decided that uh, I can be a good addition to the team. Of course, so thanks. So Matt, I might actually pass it over to you. So how do does somebody get picked for a team? Obviously, for your country, if you're listening to this, things may vary. Um, but you know, from an, an Australian point of view, if you're listening to this, how do I become an Australian player? Is there a process? Is it just a bunch of mates that like you all hang out and whatever? Is there an entry fee? Like, how does it all work, Matt? And then, you know, how did Orkman get in? Yeah, so essentially we've gone through three different processes uh, to get to where we were. So ETC, as Michael said, um, was an open invite to everyone that we um, you had to fill in a, a form and send it in and it went to a, a selection, selection committee. Uh, then we were selected from that um, and then we had our team and then uh, fast forward to the first ETC got cancelled um, and then they decided to... Uh, postpone it so we sort of stuck with the team for a little bit and then um actually i think uh peter pete was the first not you pete uh, the other pete we had was the first to uh to pull out of the team so we had to uh look for another player at that point too and then um worlds then got announced etc got the boot um so essentially we we had a bit of a, a shuffle a couple of times and then it came to the point where we sort of decided as a team we'd open it all up again um, for a new selection process because it kind of, after a year and a half, it kind of felt a bit unfair that we would just keep our spots um, without anyone else having a chance to apply. So we we essentially disbanded the team and everyone had to reapply, myself included, as the captain. Um, and it went to selection committee again. Uh, we we picked another team which which wasn't the team we finally ended up with. We ended up um, I think Clint Clint Mallet was in that team. We had Tristan Tristan from uh, Bendigo was in the team, uh, and then so what ended up happening was uh, once we couldn't go to Worlds last year with COVID, uh, we decided we had a couple pull out again. Tristan pulled out. Um, Clint pulled out. So what we decided to do was um, we actually asked some players if they wanted to join the team. So Sam Morgan was one um, and Dave Kerr was the other one that had expressed interest in wanting to join the team. So we asked him and he said yes. And so we had a team of six and then Worlds decided they were going to change the the players from six to eight. So then we were <laughs> we were too short again so we had um then charles black pulled out uh so we had to find three players um i think yeah in the end we so we went with um the six australians we had we had stewart who's living in japan and then we just were struggling to find the final two uh that were we wanted two fairly decent players like as as we've said it's a lot of money 
we didn't just want to take the, like someone brand new off the street, you know, that's never played before. It, like, it's a big commitment by us uh, financially and 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 you know, time wise. Uh, so we we looked through Australia. We we invited a few. We were even invited um, uh, the couple of the New Zealand uh, guys. So the um, Tubbs and like Bates. They yeah and yeah so a couple of their good players we we invited them and they just they just couldn't commit so we had to look elsewhere we looked abroad um and sam knew uh fabs from sheffield in england uh so we invited him and he was at the time applied for the english team uh he didn't quite get the spot so he jumped on board and he was yeah he was great and then we were I think we were one short or Clarky, I think we had our eight at that point and then it might have been Charles pulled out and then we were one short again. So that's when we uh, asked Orkman. Uh, we'd played against him a few times in team events and on TTS and I, I hit up Orkman after a game. I'd played against him actually in one of our events. I said, oh, look, are you uh, interested in joining the team and, and coming to help us out because we're, we're one short and uh, – to Peter's credit, he was sort of said, oh, look, I'd, I'd prefer not to. I'd rather you get someone from your own country. Um, and I said, oh, well, we've already got another mercenary from England, so feel free to jump on. So he had to think about it for a couple of days and he got back to us and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you guys out. Um, so that's that's pretty much how that selection went. It wasn't just an easy, an easy selection, but uh, I think, this time around, uh, next year is going to be a lot different. I think uh, Sam Morgan's going to organise it a bit bit better, and we'll we'll do a a full reshuffle, a restart. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I probably won't be there uh, for for family reasons and everything else. Just it's just too hard being away from kids for that long. And um, but I'll I'll stay on essentially to help with the selection committee at the bare minimum. Um, but it'll it'll open up to the the Australian the Australian um, matter as well, the community to apply um, and, yeah, we'll go from there. It was ultimately quite a convoluted process and and Matt and myself are the only two that have sort of made it all the way through the three or four iterations and and Matt described very detail there about how we went through was That was about a million times more detail. (laughs) I was was expecting we had a poll, people could apply, (laughs) we looked at their results. Yeah. And invited. That was uh, what I was expecting. One thing I want to emphasise, and a few things that the team has discussed in all its iterations, was a bit around uh, probity and, and fairness to the community, which is why we went through that formal spill about a year and a half ago and, and reopened it up. And I think uh, there'll, there'll be more stuff coming out and Sam will organise and I'll help him with it a bit as well and, and Matt's going to stay on. But having a... a selection committee and a written document of procedures and process so that it's everybody in the community knows that this was a there was an open inviter twice uh through the process uh everyone had a chance to everyone who was interested had a chance and we went beyond people who had just previously applied because we were scrambling around to fill the eight slots due to all the COVID and the extended time people dropping um but yeah, pretty sure that it's going to be a quite a transparent, open, and fair process that, that anyone in Australia is interested can apply. And you'll obviously have to have proven track record at Australian tournaments that you're a good player to to, to yeah. make the cut. 
And and that 100% as well is not just for Australia. Um, obviously, every country will be a little bit different, but the standardised process across the board is that at one particular time, there'll be an application process. It could be Google Form. It could be some type of email this with why you want to play for the country. Um, there's a few other considerations. One is obviously going to be cost. Um, mm. Matt, Clarky, we're looking at what? On average, about four grand, maybe? Somewhere oh, between mi- three to yeah, five minimum. grand? Yeah, I think my cool. flights alone flights alone were three grand, you know, and then you've got accommodation, food, everything else. So I got... Mine was a bit of extended stay, but I spent about seven, seven, eight grand all up. So yeah. So it's, it's so it's a big financial commitment, and it is, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a cheap thing. But also, and one other consideration that you need to have if you're thinking about playing is a lot of the times, and you will tell me this in a second, is that there is a selection committee not just for who who's going to play, but often what type of the army you're going to run. You know, thinking about the meta, if I love my, I don't know, my Grimspite gits, everyone knows on this channel, I love my gits. If I came to you and said, Mare, I want to run my gits, I'm going to play for Australia, there's a really good chance you would have said no for this reason. It's not because you want to be a jerk, it's because you want to be thinking about the pairings. You want to think about how, you, as a team, you can do really good in the results, not just do the best we can. And I know that came down to um, Cancron. Alexander Cron, yep. massive boatman, the carriage and overlords, but he didn't run that. No, so that that came down to ultimately that was actually came down to his decision. Um, probably three months out, we were t- we were taking KO, but we played a teams event online, and he was playing quite a few games with KO, and he just felt that they weren't good enough. Like he felt they'd fallen off, fallen off the uh, the top of the meta too far, and he had too many bad matchups going into a team's event. Um, essentially, once we got to the team's event and we saw all the other lists, his his KO list probably wouldn't have been that bad, but uh, that's why he sort of went with the the doc, the doc list in the end. But as you said earlier too about um, applying and, you know, if you said you were going to play Gits, I think <laughs> if you had to applied, you probably would have got a part because we were so short on numbers. But uh, <laughs> I think going forward, it might be a bit different. Uh, I think there's been a lot more yeah. If, if you allow me just to interest. Um, add one more thing oh, to that. Just but, Sorry, just because I think it's, uh, it's very interesting that um, I believe the international let's say US community matured quite uh, a lot. And uh, nowadays, when, when I talk to the teams, it's typically just picking players. So, <laughs> so it, it depends. Some teams will be, um, maybe just uh, the coach will assign a, um, an army to you. But if you select it, it's almost like uh, you are expected to play any sort of farm in the game. And of course, maybe, I don't know if you are uh, the best, uh, whatever, um, uh, KO player, they don't want to put you on, on gigs. But, but basically, it's just about players and army comings to the, on a, a much, much later stage. That's, that's what I learned. And not just for Australia, but all the teams I talk to. Yeah, like if I was to apply for the next year, and let's say it happens in January, you know, because the meta shifts so quickly and so often, you know, you don't have to assign me gits immediately, but I need to have a willingness to play the army that isn't my favorite. There might be a commitment that I need to go buy a new army. So I guess when you are applying for the for the tournament, it's more than just I'm going over to play war dollies in a different country with a bunch of guys and girls. It's about 
Um, I need to be a team player. I need to practice. I need to play tabletop simulator. Um, I know I saw the Americans took a whole week off to go practice in a house mm. and they just matched up, right? Like they had full I, commitment. Yeah. Clark, if, if I could add one more thing there. So, so having commitment to training weekends and participation group chat, et cetera, is all, we'll, we'll get to those things. But the, um, another thing that you'll have to be yeah, as a team player Everyone had to sign up when they applied as a commitment that they're willing to take the bad matchup and accept it like a man that you're going to get smashed in a horrible matchup because there's a really important component of teams is around how you trade bad, the captain trades bad matchups to secure good matchups. And team players, you're not going there to go 6 0 yourself individually. You're going there to win as a team. And that involves willingness and acceptance to, to have those trade offs. Perfect example, by the way, Sam's just pointed out here, is that, you know, when the selection criteria happened, let's say it was 2019 or 2020, right, or even 2021, I apply on, and I, I'm, I want to be a player, right? Beasts of Chaos were never a faction that you would have assigned to me, you know, unless I was just like a mad, passionate, always did 5-0, and oh, like I was a super beast player. But then, as Sam's mentioned, White Dwarf has changed right on the cusp that unfortunately sometimes it takes you to have the flexibility, but also do you chase the meta or do you stick to what you know? And there's a lot of science behind it, but I thought I'd bring up an interesting piece that I noticed on Twitter. And, you know, you, you, you're referring to the matchup process and we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but that's okay. The, here's an example on the left of what um, Team England did was they looked at, you know, the types of lists that they were going to run, then kind of, you know, it's very much what's called the traffic light system. You know, who am I going to be really good at? Who is my preferred matchups? Who am I kind of like, you know, battle plan dependent? And also like, who should you avoid me at all costs? And there's a whole process around matching up. I don't know if you guys want to add to that, but I just thought about a little bit about like how the, the actual game happens. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll talk about the matchup since I, I did most of it. Uh, yeah, so coming into the event, I uh, once we knew all the, the lists that were available, um, I asked every one of my players to, we, we filled in a spreadsheet of a, we just did a simple um, red, yellow, green. Uh, you looked at opponent's list and you decided, we didn't worry about battle plans, it was just a, a pure... Um, your army versus that army, whether or not you think you could beat it. If you thought you could beat it and it was um, you could win with, a say, a 15 to 20-point um, win at the tournament, you'd give me a green. If you thought it was a sort of a 50-50 matchup, that was a like a, a 6 to a 14 um, points. Like, you could be in that range. That was a yellow. And a red matchup is if you can score 0 to 5 points in that matchup. Um so I had to, that's sort of how, what I had to work with each round. Um, and then from there, you sort of, we did our battle plans and we, I, I had to kind of work out on the spot or a little bit before which one of my players would play better on certain battle plans as well. So, um, yeah, with how the matchups work, you, you sort of got to put down a player, they put down a player, you flip them both over and then you've got to, you've got to counter their their player with two of your own. So you put another two out, they do the opposite. And then and then you pick your matchup for your player and they pick their matchup for their player, essentially. Uh, so if you had a really good battle plan for... So for example, uh, Stuart was playing Nurgle. He really liked the Apex Predators. So coming onto Apex Predators, I'd put him out as the first, uh, the defender, I think it is, or the attacker. 
put him out. So we knew he was going to be playing on that mission um, and they'd have to try and counter him. So it, it's not an easy process and it all happens very quickly. Um, you don't have much time. I think uh, in our second round against France, Dave Kerr decided to sit down with me and uh, try and give me a hand. And after, I think, the second lot of pairings, he, he turned to me and said, how do you think this is going? I said, oh, it's going all right. And he goes, I've got no idea what you're doing. I've got no idea how this works. And and essentially just uh, he didn't help me at all. So that was a great help. Thanks, Dave, for that round. Uh, but m- most rounds I had Sam just – had Sam there helping me just uh, – essentially just getting the cards out and I had the, the match-up sheets in front of me. Um, like, for, like oh, I don't know if you can see these on camera at all. These were our sort of match-ups. So this was our first round. It's a bit hard to see, but um, I had all that to look at in front of me all at the same time and trying to work out um, our match-ups. And I think England, like England was our worst, if you can see that. There's a lot of reds and a lot of yellows and not many greens at all. So I didn't have much to work with against England. Um, and it kind of showed in the end that we just, they just had really good lists that matched up well against us um, and got smashed essentially. But uh, the, yeah, the, the matchup process is very hard. Um, I think it was against Germany going into our final round of matchups, they'd left. They'd left Seraphon for Apex Predators when they had um, little squishy heroes like a Slan and something else, and you just and a, and a Skink. And I was looking at Sam, and he was looking at me, and I said, "They've left. They've left Seraphon for the final round. Like we've we've got this one. Like, <laughs> and we had Stu for the final round going into Apex Predators, and yeah, it just stuff like that. Like it, it's it, it, it's like a game of chess." and like 4d chess almost all happening all at once it's it's not an easy process that's for sure because it's not because it's more than just like for anyone who's listening to this who's been to a tournament right you know you've got your pairings i win or i lose and then i'm paired up with someone who's similar like it's one-on-one but you know when you go to a team's format there's a lot more science behind as you've said matt's trying to or the captain is trying to match up favorable matchups for you in order for you to win but also who can really deny and, you know, throw into the red. I know was it Darren Watson had a couple of red matchups when he was an England player. Was it, I think it might've been Darren. I can't remember who it was, but you know, like going against the grain and trying to um, maybe not just get completely blown out of the water. That in itself um, is a science. Clarky, it looks like you're nodding your head. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Uh, no, probably not. We can talk pairings and matchups all, all day, but Matt's definitely the best to, to, to chat that, having sat in the captain's seat um, there. And, yeah, yeah, maybe just a, a very, very short shot. I would actually to Matt because most of the top teams had uh, a separate coach. Mm-hmm. So basically dealing with the matchups and all this prep work, while, while obviously we were only eight men. So Matt not only did this, but played. And I think this is a <laughs> quite big task. So uh, I, I personally was just absolutely smashed after the games. I, I was barely able to restart myself, let's say, from the afternoon game. And and Matt had to do all this, go to all this uh, brain work, which is I think is pretty, it's pretty huge. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. Matt did really well, and and I think it was a big benefit. Matt had a, going to Europe a week and a half before to acclimatize. Like, uh, <laughs> my brain was fried because I just flew in. I, I think a couple of the other guys had only flown in with one or two days spare, and it was uh, this is just no way he could have done that. I, I helped Matt a few times in practice pre-event just running through a lot of different things and and we all did in the in the team chat and individual chats but 
yeah, on the day, just no way could have could have done it without no <laughs> at all. So well done for Matt there. Speaking of which, how was it like flying with Warhammer? Like, did you have to consider um, certain models that couldn't travel? Like, sure, something like Archaon, for example, or a Nagash would be hard to travel with, you know, or, you know, running Sylvaneth with like a million Wildwoods. I know you probably wouldn't run Sylvaneth anyway, but like, you know, I'm sure that come into consideration. And I stole a couple of pictures from Twitter, one being from like Little Marathi and, you know, TSA going through. And I've gone through this experience where I got stopped at Dubai and they wanted to pull out all my models and I got detained for an hour. That was awkward. But like, do you have any problems with, you know, transporting your figurines? Any any tips if anyone wants to travel? Well, I, I took Archaeon, which is a little bit insane and in, in there. But um, I, I think the biggest miracle of the entire event is I didn't get a single breakage of any splintered fang or Archaeon, not even a little whip. I, I had an exalted chariot with a whip and the whip survived the, the transport. So um, I think just pack it really tightly, really well. And if the model can't move, it can't break. Yeah, yeah, those magnets so I... seem to be going really well. Sorry, Tyrrell. Yeah, you're right. Um, I just I just took a, a Citadel case, like the the biggest one, um, and I had my the the turtle, the Eidolon, uh, in in one section with it took up the whole section essentially on one side, and then all my other models uh, were in the other side, and I just took it carry on for every flight I could. Um, which was every flight except from the Aubrey to Sydney flight, which they made me put it underneath, but it survived that, thank God. But um, the only time I got stopped, and I got stopped both times, I had to open it, sorry, was uh, Abu Dhabi was both times I had to open it and um, they kind of wanted to look through it a little bit and I'm like, ah, so it's just got models and you try not to open it too much. And then they, so then I think they get a bit suspicious. <laughs> and you, that's, yeah, that's, you, that's how I got, that's how I got detained because I had religious iconography having my um, exalted uh, warrior priests and it was the old, <laughs> before Cities of Sigma. They looked, they saw it, they freaked out. That my yeah, passport right. taken off me. I almost missed blood and glory, um, which was crazy. But like, um, you know, like you guys had mentioned a little bit earlier. Sorry, Orkman, is there anything you'd want to add to that? Um, or no, I'm just, I'm just laughing because I just dropped my carrier to the, the trunk and just thrown so. <laughs> in his car. <laughs> but I think what was really cool is, you know, Matt, you know, obviously it was in Prague, right? But, you know, London is certainly a spot that you can stop off, have a bit of a holiday. And you and, um, and Dave, Dave Kerr, the master, uh, both of you are the masters. You had gone to Warhammer World, had it played at a little practice event, met some people. Um, yep. How did that help you kind of adapt to the the international meta, or at least you know England's meta, which is pr probably the strongest? Um, yeah, look, it, to be fair, it was only a narrative event. We we were just lucky that it was that weekend, um, so we got to manage to to play in an event. Um, and as you can see in the photo there uh, with uh, Dave and I in. Um, Bugman's Bar. That was Fabs. That was our English English mercenary. Uh, so he joined us there, and he played the event too. And we we spent the weekend together uh, in Nottingham in a in Airbnb. So that was really good. To that was the first time both of us had met Fabs. So it was good just to hang out and um, have a have a weekend together before the event, and 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 essentially get to know each other a bit better. Uh, as far as the event went, uh, most of it. There was a bit of a narrative event, so there was some narrative lists, but there was some actual uh, really strong worlds lists there as well. So it was it was good to get 
get another run with my army. I'd I'd played it the weekend before um, the Aubrey uh, Border Wars or two weekends before I went overseas. So I had two good events under my under my belt with with the army before heading over uh, before before Worlds. But yeah, it was good just to. We wanted to play the event more, to, more so to say we've played an event at Warhammer World. Um, that was that was the big thing. Like it, it's not somewhere I'm probably ever going to get to go to again anytime soon. So that was the that was pretty awesome to be able to say I've done that now. Um, and just to see Warhammer World in person was really, was really good too. But yeah, essentially as the as you ask about the meta, I think. Um, it was it was a bit of a warm up event, but I don't think they had their best. They definitely weren't their best players at the event. That's for sure. They won the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. It was, but, but it was more just like going out, seeing Warhammer World, seeing the dioramas, picking up incredibly cheap Warhammer, um, like what I yeah. did. I bought four star collecting flesh eater courts as well as a whole bunch of other like random things because I could. It's so yeah. cheap. <laughs> yeah, so cheap. Um, but like, you know, like I was looking at the photos for worlds, right? You know, the tables look great, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about with the tables is actually this is there was set default terrain maps, things that we've seen in 40 K in like the ITC, but it's not very common in age of Sigma. Clarky, I might throw this over to you first, then Orkman kind of, you know, to, to add on. I, I, I think you, it's it's a it's a really addressed thing. The official game rules allow a big advantage to the defender to set up the terrain. Now at tournaments that never happens ever because it's too big a uh, it's too variable what terrain's available. It's um, preset terrain because of time limitations and whatever else. So nobody's used to using the actual official rules um, pretty much ever, and. So this is this is something a bit different. Um, having having a preset. Uh, look, I, I've I've already wrote my essay on um, uh, some of the elements of the terrain in that they added impassable as a as a comp rule uh, to pa- the set just as pa- well, pa- pa- pause for a second on that one. Just pause on that one. Just as a terrain map in general, right? Yeah. Did you enjoy the fact that the maps were laid out? And you can see here, folks, that um, there was two versions. There was, um, it was light and sparse, or I can't remember how they light defined and dense. it. But dense light and light. dense. Yeah, but I, I, yeah. I really like the, the the definition of the terrain and having set maps so you can plan a bit better. But also, you know, sometimes, especially when it comes to like tournaments, you know, you've been playing around with terrain or you're setting up armies, it gets messed up and it, it can become... Mm. Uh, an advantage to one player. But ha- as a terrain map, would you like to see this kind of used more often? Did you enjoy the experience? Then we'll get to the other stuff. Yeah, I, I, well, okay, on that, I think it's it does add an extra 10 minutes at the start of the game to try and figure out all that it is and adding to it, which was completely fine given we we're only playing two two games a day and there was time allowed for it. It, it would be a lot more challenging a three-game-in-a-day event. Um uh, they were, as you can see on the screen, they're essentially symmetrical. So the only um, advantage would be if there's a mystical or an arcane or something like that. And then it, um, yeah, not completely against it as as a in theory. You know, it's just the time impost to do it up, and the fact that it was symmetrical meant that it did reduce the amount of gaming that was possible from them. Um, guys, 
Yeah, so I, 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 I like the idea yeah, so. to have this sort of uh, preset maps, but I think this is maybe an area to, to improvement for next years. Uh, and I think, I think the organizers are very open to all sorts of suggestions. I personally, I'm a little, I find a bit, bit gamey when, uh, when one player or, or can a little bit uh, set up the terrain um, and, and felt maybe, maybe slightly more complicated than it should be with the light and dance and sometimes it led to some sort of confusion uh, whether a table is light or how it's set up because technically one table should have been light the other dance but sometimes you had to hunt for pieces <laughs> to to fill out the map so I, I think this is a great idea but but perhaps there is that there can be ways to do a slightly better and more more of a way that um, not leading to kind of gamey gamey situations when you maybe not as you said, with the impossible and some other stuff, with especially with the garrison, there are some really weird uh, interactions you can do, which which I don't, I personally don't like. But it's just just me. Yeah, yeah. I, personally, I, I just I didn't like it. I think it was a waste of time. Every like sometimes it took you fifteen minutes to to work it out because <laughs> you 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 know we didn't have a map given to us. It was just you had to find it on the the website and you were looking at it on your phone half the time. You'd be setting up the terrain for dense and then you're accidentally looking at light. So then you're setting it up for that. And then it, and then half the time you, you and your opponent are setting it up anyway. It's not like just one person was doing it. Um, I don't know. I think it added a lot of bloat to it that didn't need to happen, essentially. I, like it, it just, it was a lot of time wasted. Um, when I think the terrain could just be set up on the table and you just, you just move it to get it away from objectives and stuff before each game probably would have been just as easy and, and quick, to be honest. Yeah, I really like the standardization personally, just because you are at a tournament, you know, especially like a best of the best tournament, you know, across the globe, you know, having some standardization um, certainly does have its benefits. I do like the definition. I think Age of Sigma Terrain has a lot to learn from Ninth edition 40K, but you know, do we want to go to that extreme? Maybe, maybe not. But I think definitely our terrain rules are probably a little bit too loose at the moment. So I love the fact they tried. And I know, like, Clarky, they added a few extra things at the end. I won't get you into Rantcast, but uh, go check out Sigma Central if they want to see Clarky's more thoughts around the late addition to, was it Impassable and Garrison, or was it just Impassable? Uh, well, Garrison's an official part of rules, so it's fine. It was Impassable that was added uh, as a little bit of a surprise. Um at the end yeah especially when you're running something like rkr with a massive base and what you can do with that on the table i'm sure if you knew that yeah. maybe you wouldn't take the big bad uh or maybe at least it would change the way you're practicing yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Sure. but I, I think there is also um something to on this topic that it's basically a worse event and uh, terrain is because there are no strict rules or no proper rules from gw quite often interpreted very differently. For instance, I know that in the US, they have something similar and maybe even more sophisticated system and a tried out system. And uh, maybe maybe that system, if you just implement here, would have been worked for, for them well. Uh, it was a bit different system, but for, for the rest of the world who are not familiar with this kind of system that you set up terrain, it just ought. So one way or another, at the worst, you have to accept that not everything will go according to how it is done in your local meta. But at least they are trying to set up a standard, and I think that's 
that's that's a great thing even and, if i don't like some of the elements of it and i, I think to round out terrain in the interest of time the terrain itself was i think sponsored by the the game mat.eu to, to give them a shout and the train was beautiful it was all beautifully painted it was fresh new there was more than enough it, so it, nice it was it was very nice to play out despite the niggles around some of the rules because of the underlying issue with terrain rules in in gdub but yeah, it, there was more than enough terrain of of appropriate standard quality to what we expect, and all the all the game mats were all proper game mats, no wooden tables or anything like that. So it was it was a pleasurable experience to to play on those tables, despite some of the rule niggles. Yeah, we're talking about the rules here, not specifically about the tables. But it looks like like if when I start going through the photos, like they're absolutely gorgeous looking. Like this is this is a beautiful tournament. Like you know especially considering how many players there were. And I know, uh, Mayor, you've got something up in front of you. And what happened, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> there was a singles tournament that happened before the team's tournament. But Australia did something with the English team. Um, and, you know, especially considering there's a lot of people outside of, you know, these cricket nations. What on earth is that, these animals, and what's going on here? So that was uh, that was the Ashes. That was something started um by the ETC uh, Australian team and English team quite a number of years ago. Uh, so we were sort of obliged to continue on the the tradition. So while I was in London before the event, I went to Lords and I, I picked up the the brought what you can see the two teddies and the the Ashes urn. And um, so the two teddies were obviously given to each each team captain, and then the urn was given to the winner of the winner of the event but essentially it's just a warm-up game uh for the event just to make sure we're all like getting everything right and 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 uh, getting into the swing of things but um the, the tradition yeah. of it is is actually for all the global listeners of coach the the ashes is a uh an event in cricket the, the sports game of cricket that goes back something like 150 years whenever Australia play England as the first two nations in cricket and, and obviously tight cultural boundaries between between the two countries and, and lots of friendships and family linkages between the two countries. It's um, uh, it, it's like a 100-year-old tradition in cricket and, and we're sort of trying to build that same tradition in, in Warhammer and, and, as Matt said, it builds off, uh, I think, a Warhammer fantasy battle uh, used to have an Ashes, Australia versus England in the precursor to, to events. So... Yeah, did it and and a bit of spoiler as well you would not only play england at the ashes but you would also yeah. then play them in the final <clears throat> round so did you find that getting a bit of practice a bit of reps in against england helped you at all or do you reckon you gave away your trade secrets and what was already a tough battle to begin with they kind of knew what how you guys played uh i think uh look we talked about this beforehand actually whether or not to uh try and go all in or not but so I, before the event i decided we'd play when we played them we'd practice the first round of worlds just in case we did have to play them later in the event so we weren't playing essentially the same matchups um so yeah the matchups ended up being quite different from ashes to the end and i don't know if they learned i think Darren, I played Darren in the Ashes with my Ideneth against his uh, Seraphon, and he had me as a, a solid green. And after the game, um, he'd changed it to an orange, I think. <laughs> so uh, I think they made some changes from their matchups from our games, but look, it, it is what it is. I, I, they had a great team. I don't think our 
our team were ever going to beat them just for our just the way our matchups went, our lists went, and you know their players. <laughs> they, they probably had eight of their top ten best players at the event, whereas we were, um, you know, we, we were struggling a bit for our top top ten. Like we definitely didn't have eight of our top ten players, for example. So it makes a big difference as far as that goes. So look, we, we tried our best against them, but I don't think we were ever we were ever beating them on the day. So, but yeah. No, and, you know, like, you know, um, Sam had mentioned as well in the chat, you know, the mission pairing against England can be tough, but at the same time as well, I know I saw a lot of praise being sung to Tom Morsley, was it, um, who was yep. doing a lot of the pairings for England. And I think that's kind of where, like, once you've had a bit of experience with the team format, you learn a lot and you're like, oh, I would have done that differently. So having a lot of intrinsic knowledge and people who have been there in the past mm. can help you a lot. Um, not to say that this becomes an old boys club and, and the team kind of is static every year, but getting the experience and getting that knowledge, there's so much you don't know until you've gone to a team's to tournament. And I know like when well, I've played at Runax, for example, you know, being a part of the matchup pairings, you know, being able, you know, looking at that format, you realise how differently it is to a one-on-one -on -one traditional format, Clarky. Uh, I, I think on that, England have a very strong teams tournament scene and a lot of these guys play teams and some of them don't even play in their singles events over there. Six Nations, of, uh, Brotherhood, like this, there's, there's so we, many team tournaments. We currently have Runax, which uh, which Gabe runs highly successfully and I'm so keen to get up to Runax this year and, and I'm already beginning. Well, we were going to play. But it's, uh, yeah, but COVID stuffed it again. Um <laughs> But but that I think it did show through that the, the teams that had a separate coach because had a complete he headspace free and that deeper experience with teams. I think Matt did an amazing job with it, but um, th there was an experience gap for sure um, on how that all worked. I, I did see saying um, that. I think three of the teams that we we did beat like uh, very comfortably. They all had. You know, three or four people helping, and they had a captain, coach. You know, doing yeah. matchups. Um, so maybe it's just Tom being amazing. <laughs> yeah, and he had he had Jack with him and Luke Morton. They had three really good, uh, smart people there doing it. Um, and yeah, when you've got lists like they had and players that they've got, it makes things a hell of a lot easier. Put it that way. Orkman, yeah. anything you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's uh, we talk a lot about the pairings, but. Uh, and, and and Tom and, and the England team is just just did some something something on the next level. But I think we should also just mention it that it's as basically as matter in playing you can do good matchups if you have a good team. So the team structure, I think, this is something maybe for next year from Timosa maybe it's something to uh, develop further because uh, I think they they looked what sort of list they bring specifically for certain matchups to give and in this day we will play these four missions we want to make sure that our guys have good missions or even if you go into a red matchup red army matchup but on a favorable mission that is almost like a 50 50 quite often so i think uh this these two things come together and uh and maybe this is where where they also were ahead of most of the other teams uh that this sort of preparation, the team structure, which armies they, they which list they're bringing, and how they introduce it, uh, it to, in a smart way to the pairing. So I think these things all together. So it's not just that mm. on the on the on the spot uh, pairings, in my opinion. 
I, I also think within our own team, we spent a long time and put a lot of energy and effort into the red, green, yellow matchup on a list first list basis. We had it for every team, as Matt showed there. But then when you overlay uh, the mission element, uh, Matt kind of had to make that up on his own because we didn't feed him intel of, of the mission from the players. So that was a bit of a gap when... When I was talking to Tom, they had mission matchup all mapped and, and prepped, where we mostly had matchup prepped, and Matt was sort of going with gut feeling on the fly a bit on on the mission element. So that was a bit of a bit of a difference too, I think, Matt. For anyone for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about here, by the way, with a team's format like this, it's not like round three. Everyone in the team is playing power struggle. Not, not everyone's playing the same thing. There is a series of matchups, but also within the round, there could be two, three, four different battle plans being used at the same time too. So as Clark is mentioning, it's about how do you pair up the your strengths to their weaknesses, but also put them in a great position in the battle plan as well. Because as you're right, Clarky, you know, 1v1, I might win or I'm in a, a really good position, but in a, a really bad matchup, or as in like a battle plan or something that's really restrictive with terrain, then, you know, as Owen Jackson's mentioning, you know, pairing up with the missions is huge. Uh, and Owen yeah. was obviously playing at the tournament. It was in Wales, I think it was. Um, but Owen was playing as well. You know, that that takes a lot of knowledge. So um, a, it's a part of the challenge is about the excitement, but also certainly you've got to think about this game, as you mentioned, it's very 40 chess. It's not as simple mm. as a one-on-one -on -one format. So kudos to everyone. And what I've got on the screen here as well is it was being live streamed by uh, the TSN network who's doing an outstanding job, the whole team, but also the French Wargaming. They had like, I reckon there's at least 3,000 plus people between the two Twitch channels watching the live stream, which is just extraordinary, um, let alone, you know, this sh shows you how the community is growing. How, what was yeah. it like playing on, on TSN? Um, uh, that, that's oh, okay. So uh, go back. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be fair, I, I didn't even realize it was running. I just played my game. And um, apart from they kind of made us wait to do pairings and then uh, and sort of made us wait before we start our game. But apart from that, it was just me and my opponent playing. Um, and then, yeah, like essentially I had a lot of – interviews during the weekend of um the guys coming up and ask because i was the captain and coach so they couldn't just interview our coach it had to be me so they'd come and interview me during the games and stuff but essentially playing on on stream to me it was i, I just ignored it it wasn't there to be honest did me. all eight of you play on the stream or was it just like yep. the tables no nah, all eight he had eight tables set up extraordinary uh, anyone else want to add anything to that? Like I, there was a lot of cool media coverage and I believe oh. either it's either available on TSN. I think if you're a subscriber or I'm sure they're going to clean it up and kind of re-upload it somewhere, like mm. check out Rob and keep an I, eye out for the. I, I loved it. I loved how Rob and his team that they pulled together and the float. It was so professionally uh, organized as a media kind of thing. And obviously we can't watch it because we were playing on the time but uh, the amount of private chats and, and personal chats that i had of coming back home that people had tuned in and were watching it and were getting excited and pumped around the event it was uh, uh, the guys obviously did a massive job and and um yeah, family it really adds yeah. to the professionalism like my mum was watching back home and she <laughs> 
she doesn't know anything at all about it, but she was proud of seeing me on the thing, shaking hands with my opponent, wearing the Australian T-shirt. It's, yeah. Oakman? Yeah, for, for me, uh, once the game started, I'm, I'm usually very focused, so I, I it not bothered me at all. So, so overall, I think it was great. And uh, and it's like I said, and that's what I heard from other people who, especially you know, when um, somebody has, has kids or just for for can kind of play for the whole country, it's just so different. And uh, yeah, um, I, I think it is really just adds up. It it just explains why everybody's so happy about this event or how hyped to do it again because with all the coverage, with the professional coverage, it just all added it to have a great even a great experience. And you felt that you you get interviewed like you know like an athlete, <laughs> which is a bit uh, funny, but uh, it just really really helped to bro- bring the the event to a next level, I think. Yeah, and like you know, between Twitter and Discord, and there's a whole bunch of things. Like it was great to see you know Agnes, you know, the whole bunch of like um, the council yeah. members. Just a lot everyone of people from the from your server as well. It was it was great to meet those. And we're all yeah. we're all like talking about it in like a server chat, just absolutely giving it twenty four seven. A lot of <laughs> national pride in a very fun um, fun element. But you know, like talk to me about the the five six rounds. So I was going to say five rounds. It was six, six round tournament. Um, who did you play? I know round one you played Malta, you Malta, played England, France. you played USA. Who France. else did you play? France. Uh, we had so we had um, England, France, Malta. Uh, uh, who was it? America? What did I say? America, Sweden, Germany. Yeah, and England. Um, so we had a. It was a very roller coaster weekend for us. So our first game against Malta, we we essentially captain. I think we had 117 out of 120. Um, so following round, we had to play France, who finished second of the event, and um, we got beaten by France pretty pretty well, um, which dropped us back down the rankings. So then going into uh, round three, we had to play against uh, who was America. Yeah, yeah, the US. USA round three. I, I, I was awake for the yep. for the posting. I love that game. And we, um, oh, essentially, yeah, my game was over really quick, and then all our games went really well, and we capped them hundred. I think we, I think we capped them, or we did. We got a pretty good score against them. Something, something ninety uh, ninety five ish, I think. Yeah. Not, not oh, that's right. right. Yeah, that was against America. Yeah. So then, so then we got bumped back up the ladder again, and then we um come up against Sweden who went on to finish third, but we only, I think it was 78 to 82. So it was a really, really close round that one. I remember walking around with their captain coach uh, for the last 20 minutes, looking at our games, thinking, oh, are we going to win? Are we not? Uh, they were a bit the same. So that then sort of bumped us back down a bit. And then uh, the final day, our first game, we come up against Germany. Uh, we were looking at the list thinking, oh, we've got a lot of bad matchups. We thought it was going to be a tough game. Um, and essentially I had no idea how the team was going. I was in a, in a hard game against, uh, Legion of the first Prince and, and my game went to pretty much went to time. Um, and all the guys were standing around me and I'm like, Oh, how are we going? Like, do I need to keep pushing? And I kept playing it out and I, I got the 20 and when I asked them, you know, how did we go? And they've just turned around and said, Oh, I think we've, we've capped them. And I said, what we've capped Germany going into like round five and, um, I just essentially didn't even think that it wasn't on our radar 
as far as points went either because we were so far down at that point. So then because we capped and we got 120 points, we went straight back up the la- the ladder and we were third on the ladder going into the final round, which which then paired us up against uh, England. And uh, England just, yeah, the last round they just, just smashed us again. So um, it bumped us back down to 11th. So I think... I think if we had a dodged England for the final game and played any other of the top 10 sides, I think we would have finished much, much higher on the ladder. I think we we essentially our only three losses of the weekend were against the top three finishers, England, France and, and Sweden. So I think from a team perspective, we can kind of hop hold our heads high that we 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 did actually do pretty well. Like We did finish in 11th in the end, but I think... Um, the fact that we only lost to the top three sides and and Sweden we only just lost to essentially like it was a very close finish. Uh, I think we we did pretty well in the end. I think you should be very proud. So just for anyone who who hasn't seen the um, the outcome, England came first, France came second, Sweden third, Denmark fourth, Poland fifth, uh, Italy sixth, Wales seventh, uh, USA eighth, Netherlands nine. Belgium 10, and then Australia 11th. And if anyone wants to see this type of stuff, go onto Twitter, AOS Worlds. You can see the whole breakdown. You'll see a whole bunch of – I think one of the things I really enjoyed was that most of the countries, not all of them, but most of the countries had a Twitter account, and they all have a, you know, a unique handle. And it was great to see all of the photos that were happening behind the scenes, what was happening on tour, what was happening in matchups, and just, you know, it was so much fun to kind of be an observer here. Talk to me about your matchups in regards to the, the six nations that you played. Who were your favourites and why? Orkman, Clarkie, then Matt. Orkman, um, who was your favourites and what was your what were your favourite matchups? It, it, and why? it was really really a, a weird one, and I can't really say a favourite uh, matchup because for me the, the biggest uh, thing was to meet all these people who I knew from TTS. You know, I'm kind of a TTS guy because of. Uh, particular reasons I, I don't really go to country really go to real tournaments so just meeting all these guys and uh, that was the biggest experience and I, I enjoyed all the games so uh, yeah I can't really who was your most really interesting money. team you played how about how about I say most interesting then oh well I think the most interesting was definitely Sweden I played Ronja with the <laughs> this uh, very interesting uh, night hunt, and we had a very close game, which I guess not everyone uh, can uh, claim. So it was an amazing game, and for for me, I, I knew night hunt very well, so I, I I was kind of aware of what what is all going on around. <coughs> it was just um, a game, what you don't expect to have some words, and it, it was a it was a great game. But uh, it was all fun. It was also we had an orc off with. Uh, Juan Noah from the US team, Iron Jones against each other. So, you know, it's always a. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, that photo, man, right? That, was, that was the photo. That was the orc off. That yeah, was orc yeah, man. Yeah. So, that was, that was a, a kind of a, a special. It, it, this game has a special place in my heart, but as a game, it was, you know, to Iron Jones. So, it, it's, it's never, never the most complicated because we just hit so hard. Whoever gets priority often gets an advantage. But yeah, that's, that, was, that was amazing. Uh, that's all uh, I can I can say about it. But, uh, I enjoyed all my games. Awesome, yeah. And I have no doubt in my mind that you all had fantastic games, and I'm sure there were plenty of countries that you wish you got to play. And unfortunately, you only get to play six. And then obviously the the singles that happens prior. Clarky, most interesting team you got to play, uh, and why? Well, 
Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go for three, which is tough. But like, I love playing the England guys. I, I, I just got along with most of them really well and, and hung out with them for beers after the event. And, and it was just a pleasure playing all of them. Um, uh, I think um, I really like playing Jake from America with his Living Cities list. So he had a bit of a slightly more janky list and we had a really good tight game that literally came down to a turn five uh, re-rollable nine-inch charge and, and uh, that's how tight it was, which is always a great game. Um, and then, but uh, my individual favourite opponent, I'll call out Sweden, uh, my boy Adam Saff, he was playing Seraphon for Sweden and that was a really tough game and Seraphon are obviously a very powerful list and I, I was going in as a red matchup into that, but he was such a really nice, positive energy guy that it was just a pleasure to play him. So I'll go Sweden as my favourite favorite opponent. But, it, it, by the way, there's some absolutely incredible looking armies when I saw some of the photos. These were some of the nominations and the winners as well um, of Best Painted. Um, so it was great to see that sports and painting was also a part of the tournament. Mayor, who is your uh, most interesting um, uh, team to face and why? Uh, I think interesting team was probably Team America. They had some interesting players, uh, a lot of fun. Um, but I think um, favorite team, I think if I'm not picking them, would have been Team Sweden. They were really, they were all nice guys. You know, that it was there was no animosity between uh, any of us, and it was all played above board. And they were just great guys. And my my favorite opponent, I guess, would have been against Dennis from Team Sweden. Um, it was I had come up against his LRL and uh, two turns in a row, turn one and turn two, I left Techless on one wound both times and it came back to bite me. It, it lost me the game in the end. It was a very tight game. Uh, we ended up, I think it was 12-8, uh, the final score, uh, his way. But I think if I had to kill Techless turn one, it was definitely, uh, I think I definitely had the game quite easily and then rolling for prio turn two he rolled a one and i rolled my dice and hit his dice and made his a five and made mine a three and uh he got priority so i think if i had won that priority i would have uh easily have won that game too but no it was it, we, we had a good game and it was um i think yeah sweden sweden are a great great team they were they were, they were i think if england hadn't won the uh best sports i reckon they would have been Pretty, they probably would have been right up there too. Yeah, yeah. Did you find uh, one of the questions from the um, from the chat? Uh, you know, in preparation for this, um, Brad Brad Baker had asked, um, "Did you find any rules interpretations um, had varied between the Australian scene and overseas? Did, or did you all notice that we played the same Warhammer? Like, how do we differ?" So I had one um, notable one was against Sweden. Actually, it was uh, his techless bubble that you know the ignore wounds on a on a five up. Uh, I attacked a unit of wardens that weren't wholly within the bubble, um, and he had a unit of I think there was about seven left, and I did something like eleven damage, and he took took the first one off that was out of the bubble and then started, proceeded to roll ward rolls for the other models. And I said, oh, you can't do that. And he said, oh, yeah, that's, yes, you can. And I just said, no, it's not played that way. So I, we, no, as, as I said, we were playing, there was no animosity and I just, we were right next to the TO table and I just said to the TO, come over and just have a quick look. 
And Tio essentially just said, no, yeah, straight away, no, you can't do that. And he said, oh, that's that's not how we play in Sweden. And he said, essentially, in Sweden, they just play it. Once you're like in mystical. the bubble, you can start taking your wards. Yeah, yeah. Like mystical terrain, but... right? Like I can, st- I can start taking wards out until I have no models within one inch of the terrain. Yeah, but he, yeah, so he was doing it essentially the other way around with the, the bubble. So that was one, yeah, that was one rule thing um, I remember that came up that was um, my opponent said they play it differently. There was obviously other rules contentions that came up, but none of it was that's how they play it and we play it different. That was probably the only one that I know that personally that was that seemed to be different to how they play it. Orky, Clarkman, anything else? Or- or- yeah, no, no worries. You, you can call me Orky, yeah. But, uh, maybe maybe, Clark maybe, Clark we, should, maybe we should uh, just, just note here that th- th- this rule, there was still so, a few this sort of maybe um, different interpretation, but there was a very huge uh, process to clarify some of the, let's say, to, to produce uh, even specific FAQs by the TOs. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was really crazy for the TOs. There was dozens of questions about all what normally, maybe if you go to look at the GT pack, maybe there is f- five or four or five things, but they clarify the rules. There was dozens of things. So a lot of these kind of uh, weird interactions that you can interpret differently, the TOs try to uh, figure out uh, before the event, before the list uh, mm-hmm. uh, submission. So that also contributed to it that we were more or less playing the same game, I, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I had a, a rules contention in any of mine, and, and I'd reinforce what Orkman said there. I think at one point the um, the FAQ had like 83 questions or something of really niche interactions across the game, and most of them probably never came up. But uh, look, the game's rules are not 100% watertight. There are It's a very complex game with niche interactions, and I think addressing a very significant fat fraction of those before the event were really helped. And, and that's probably the most, well, it's absolutely most comprehensive um, uh, FAQ that any events probably ever had before. So it's a, it's a good base to hopefully GW look at it and realize these are still yeah. the points of contention to, to, to smooth up in the rules. And it's obviously critical as well, because one of the things I want to ask you in a second is going to be the language barrier. And, you know, English is not the first language for every country. And, you know, did you find um, any issues or did you find any challenges, I guess, speaking um, uh, at the tournament? But before we get to that, you can kind of see here, this is the uh, the world. So you type in AOS Worlds and you bring up the website, but you'll see just how detailed this is. And I guess if I'm competing at the best of the best tournament and uh, I don't want to be having disputes. And if I'm running a tournament now, I'd come here and look at the FAQ and see how people are certainly ruling things. They've done an absolute incredible job, the council. Um, so kudos to them. But this is deep. And if you want to see uh, what teams uh, were playing, you can see the charter. You can see the teams and who was playing in the teams. You can see there was a singles event as well as the doubles event. You can see the captains. Like oh, this, this is such a great website. And I keep coming back to this because there's some really good information here. And and hopefully I can t- you continue to see this to you know build on and, and grow. And we see some of these slots like Greece and some of the teams that couldn't make it. Russia is another one. Peru, Belgium, like more 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 but were there any language barriers like you know did you find that there was challenges communicating or was it uh pretty straightforward 
So essentially, I think one of the rules of Worlds is you've got to be able to speak English um, as a common language. And then when there's any rule disputes and, and captains and coaches are called over, you have to speak English. You're going to speak the same language at that time. Um, but there was uh, a couple of teams we played against. They, they had a bit of like... I never look. None of my games uh, had any trouble with speaking to my opponents. Um, there was a couple of times, you know, you might struggle to understand what they're saying, but essentially you're all speaking English and uh, you're all understanding what's going on. I don't think anything was misinterpreted because of the language barrier. I guess you'd say, from my 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 perspective, anyway. Yeah. But just your your in-game interactions, there was no issues. Because I know, uh, yeah, like, I guess if I'm going overseas, I have some. I'd say the custom I had all six games, uh, there was a little bit of a uh, moment before the event, uh, before the game started, where every player that I played against was like, okay, dice, flat on the pitch on the dice. Yep, okay, good, we're going to play like that. Uh, Here's how we'll do this. Here's how we'll do that. Just a few little... um, uh, I, I don't know, the sportsman elements of the game about uh, that can, in a normal event, if you're less experienced in a normal event, lead to points of tension. Like, is that dice cocked? Well, yeah. there was never any dispute about that because we all pre-agreed as custom, flat on the pitch. Cool. That's easy. No dispute. No dispute. Um, I think things like terrain, that, that can matter as well, uh, walking through with your opponents, that stuff. And I think I found... Uh, all my all my opponents across the whole world were playing with a very similar mindset on that. Like use rulers, mark how far you can move, nine inch, okay, drop a ruler, that's where it goes. So there was no argy-bargy about rubber rulers or cock dice or any of that stuff. It was all very similar mindset and play style on, on those elements. Cool. So no matter where we in the world you are, um everyone's playing a very similar game of age of sigma and i wasn't trying to bait you and say you know this team was cheating and they were and like one, one thing that lex has actually braced and um last year i had a, a whole bunch of interviews with a bunch of overseas communities and one of the things that you know lex has pointed out here is that some of the localized uh books so some of them do play in english but some of them have translation france germany as an example they often have mistakes translation mistakes so um, and I, I guess, you know, not having a book in front of you, you can't refer, you know, everything has to be the English book. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't read German. I can't, you know, look at your book. And how, how, did you carry around all the books? Like how do you have all the rules and how do you clarify that type of thing? If, uh, if you, you yeah, to... you had to take your own, you had to have your own um, books, obviously, um, but you, you're not carrying around opposition books, for example. Like you don't, you don't have all the battle tomes in your pocket, but. Um, I guess it just comes down to you as a player with your knowledge on other on other opponents' lists and, and calling them out if you don't think it's quite right. Not calling them out, but asking them the question. Um, but you, if your own stuff, if you, for example, uh, I was playing Ideneth and they have their own battle tactics at times and I'd say I'm going to use this battle tactic, but before even saying it, I'd open the book and I'd show them the battle tactic and let them read it and explain to them how it worked rather than just saying, I'm going to use this battle to battle tactic out of my book and, and not, not show them. Um, I always tried to make sure I was, you know, tried to be as clear as possible with all that. 
and Lex pointing out, I, I can't fact check this, but I'm going to assume that uh, he is correct where it says bring an English book was uh, one of the rules for Worlds, so to avoid any challenges and, and things like that. But one of the questions that have come out from the chat, which is the real question that I want to know, is, Orkman, what <laughs> is your favourite Aussie slang? What have you picked up from the Aussie team that you're now going to incorporate into your daily life? Yeah, I'm not sure if I can say it actually, but but what 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 is still fascinating to not me? Not the same word. Uh, just can't drop the same word. <laughs> but it is though, unfortunately. I would say but they just they still don't understand when when are they right or or appropriate to use mate or the c word. But but I'm getting there, getting there. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the group chat was uh, pretty um, pretty loose language at times. <laughs> yeah. But in, in that sense, but, sorry, but I can tell you that I, why, why, what I really enjoyed and what was really a pleasure to join the, the OC team that I think in some ways uh, this sort of uh, culture with the banter and stuff, you know, so very similar to what we also have in Hungary or at least in where I grew up. So for me, it was very easy to kind of jump in and, you know, not get, uh, for me, it wasn't weird that we may be using some of these maybe stronger words. And I guess because of Tabletop Simulator, you've probably been exposed to our culture a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, not, not to mention that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get people like Pask who say, yeah, no, yeah, yeah exactly, definitely exactly. Australian thing. Okay, like, this is definitely, I picked it up, yeah. I mean, we had, a, we had a big discussion with Pete about how he loves pointy-eared uh, factions and models <laughs> and how orcs have, orcs have pointy ears too. Yeah. He almost stabbed you with a fork at the team dinner on Sunday night. There, but this is this is something Matt only brought up when we were in Prague, and he knew that I just can't quit the team at that point. He couldn't because, leave. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just claiming that orcs or, or goblins have pointy ears. That's just uh, it's, it's it's rude. Uh, come on, man. It's just too too. It's just rude. Good segue, by the way. What happens outside the tournament? Like, do you um, hang out? Do teams come together and you go for the beers? You go touring? Like, are there outside things that you do? Or do you just go purely for the tournament? You live in the hotel, you prepare for the next day, and then you go home. Like, what is what does it happen outside? If you're uh, if you're Team Island, you, uh, you rock up, you don't <laughs> sleep for the whole time you're there, and you just constantly drunk and yeah P but pissing, pissing on historical <laughs> monuments for the cops um, to come yeah. and arrest you <laughs> um yeah uh so we we got after ashes we caught up with the english team and we went out for dinner and drinks uh and then every night essentially we went out for dinner as a team and, and with other teams like team us and and drinks with just whoever was out like we, we tried to make the most of it. Obviously, coming from Australia, it's not like we can hang out with these sort of people every day of the week. So um, we tried to make the most of it while we were there and try and um, socialise as much as possible because, yeah, you, you only talk to most of these people online and through Discord and, and, and TTS. So it was good to actually meet these people in person and actually get to know them. And, yeah, they are all – look. I think everyone I met over the whole weekend were all great people. They were all really nice and, and friendly. And there, there was no one I could say that, you know, you know, you, sometimes you go to things and you go, oh, I don't really like that person. They, they kind of rub me up the wrong way or, yeah, like you, Coach, example. Um, <laughs> but By the yeah. way, I, I, I did hear Emma. Emma from Team America was pinging me on, like, Twitter going, I asked them uh, why I wasn't in the team. Like, why haven't you got Coach? Like, Coach should be the coach in Australia. <laughs> and I laughed at her. Yeah. 
So, yeah, look, I, I come away from the weekend thinking that, look, I, I could be friends with any one of the, the people that were there playing. Like, they were all great people, all just there, all like-minded, I guess. We're all there to have fun and play games and, and yeah, go and drink and have, have dinner together. And, you know, that's essentially gaming. We're there to game, but we're also there to socialise and have a good time. Um, obviously, gaming came first. Don't, like, we didn't go there just to party and... And not, Except not if you're the best. Irish team. Yeah, if you're the Irish, uh, that was a bit different. I think they came dead last in the end, but they, <laughs> they got about three hours sleep for the whole time they were there. Um, but anyway, we as a team, we, we went there to play Warhammer, but we we also went to socialise and, and, and meet these people. And, and that's true of um, of all tournaments, like, you know, me going to America, me going overseas, like I've gone to a bunch of international events. While I haven't gone to Worlds, some of my favorite things are not the actual games, not about the win loss and where I placed in the in the in the, the game, but rather all those outside interactions. It's the breakfasts, the lunches and the dinner. It's going out for drinks. It's it's the things that you do before the tournament and the things that you might do after the tournament when everyone kind of, kind of goes home and you go do things. You might go sightseeing. Someone from the locals might show you something. It's those yeah. moments that kind of made me travel clucky. You don't even need to do that to go to Europe or America, LVO or Worlds or whatever. It's uh, going to Gold Coast um, uh, early this year and meeting all the Gold Coast guys. I think I only knew one or two from previous events. I know that some of the Queensland guys have come down to Bendigo events and have had absolute ripper time. So even just going interstate and, and mixing with a different crew from, from what you're normally doing, it, 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 it's a different event because you're you're doing something a bit different, meeting a whole bunch of different people and, and feeling a bit of a different local culture too. Even if it's just Gold Coast. It was a bit the same with uh, myself and and Dave Kerr, for example. Um, I'd never, before this event, I'd never really spent any time with Dave. Um, The only time I really ever met him was at Masters and we didn't really get much time to to hang out. But, um, you know, we got to spend that weekend together at at Warhammer World and and staying in Nottingham. And then we stayed in the same room at, at Worlds. And it was good to get to know Dave and, you know, I... I think I've made good friends with him now and, um, you know, stuff like that. Like you, you make lifelong friends out of stuff like this. And, and even the English lads, like we spent uh, so much time with England and um, like Jack and that he, his, his wife's from Prague. So he was taking us around the city and showing us a lot of things and showing us what food to get and telling us, you know, this is the local delicacy um, and, and stuff like that. So it was, it was, it's i think an event like this you can make lifelong friends with people from all over the world you know like it's it's not just the event it's everything else but yeah as clarky said it's like an event at home you know you make friends when you go away for a weekend but this is just on the world scale i guess by by the way uh lads did we give uh orc man the name pointer was he Pointer or was he just Hawkman? <laughs> I was calling him Pete. <laughs> I was calling him Pete. Sorry, there's, that's an Australian reference for anyone uh, you'd remember in the 90s. Pointer. Um, was he off yeah, fast yeah. forward? Was it off fast forward? Yeah, fast forward or rewind or something. Like, <laughs> full frontal. Yeah, go onto like? YouTube. Yeah, full frontal. Like, type in Pointer, like the most bogan Aussie, you know, like a mullet. Like, he's so good, like tinny in the hand. Hawkman, well, yourself. Um, <laughs> I forget the question. Something maybe about maybe friends yeah. and friends we made along the way. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, maybe on, on that one, even though there was no question, I will speak up because why not? <laughs> maybe just to use this opportunity to say, just to reinforce what uh, the, the other said, 
for me, it was really like, like a big fest or like a, a nerd convention. You just went there to kind of celebrate this kind of love for Warhammer or, you know, pushing uh, plastic toys uh, with, with like-minded people. And it's just amazing. But what I think, uh, I, I, but I can already see that, uh, you know, we have a, a Discord for Word and already seeing that there is a channel for events and a lot of events popping up. So what I believe, or at least hope, that at least for the European scene, let's say the continental Europe, the people just getting together and knowing each other will perhaps uh, have to develop the local scene because outside of these big countries, maybe England or France, the scene is very fragmented, not just by the, the distance, but also the, the language barrier. But uh, now I can see there is a tournament in, 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 in Germany, in Rome, in Amsterdam, and here welcome, you know, foreign people. So with English, you can get away. And I think it's, it's a great thing. So I really hope that this will also a bit uh, gives a push to help to develop the scene as well. So besides of this kind of connection at human level, human level with the friends, making friends, I can see that is also, uh, which can be a huge factor for the future. Yeah, that'd be great because I was, um, I was talking to the Maltese team um, and the captain uh, just after Worlds had kind of wrapped up and he was sharing with me that Malta actually doesn't have any two days events. So Malta yeah. like as a, as a region is like 27 kilometer radius. Like it's not a big country. So, you know, for them, they've got to travel overseas. They're going to have to go to other countries to get those two days. But if Europe kind of comes together and if it encourages more players in America and Canada go to, and I'm seeing it more and more, Canada and America getting closer together, you know, other countries, even Australia, New Zealand, we go over to Notorious, they come over to Sydney GT, you know, our communities are getting stronger and the demand for worlds, people are, are, are it's it's just such a good mixing pot, I think, I think is really what I'm trying to say here. And hopefully it's inspiring people to go out and to travel. You know, again, yeah. as, as you know, Matt had said, we all have Warhammer in common. And I think that was probably the most enjoyable thing. Yes, winning is great, but also it's just the, the common language of Warhammer coming together. Yeah, and I, I think in, in one sense, uh, there is definitely a room for... To, to develop some sort of Warhammer tourism scene. It's almost like an event tourism because if you if you go for a, a, let's say a long weekend for a concert, which is very uh, common in, in Europe, or to a football match, you know, to Real Madrid or Liverpool, it's basically the same commitment in time or, or financially to go to another country. And it was very, I think it was very rare before, but I can see that after this, this positive experience at Worlds, that will be much more common. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. And like, let's, we, see, let's see, let's see how it works. But yeah, like we've had heaps of people come over from overseas to play at our biggest uh, tournament, CanCon. Um, but likewise, like I'm going to the LVO um, at the start of next year, and I'm already being asked, like you know, fly into California. We'll we'll drive from Cali into into Vegas, and you know, the minute you start hearing of those experiences, people are like, yeah, I'll look after you. I'll give you a hand. Mm. I'll give you, a t and they really do take you under the wing. So again, whether you're thinking about worlds or you're thinking about just international Warhammer in general, or even going outside your local community, I do find that people, when they find out that you're a stranger and you're kind of new to the scene, they will embrace you. So, um, you know, that's a big win for us. Cause again, we all talk Warhammer, but one thing I do want to talk about before I start kind of wrapping this up is chess clocks. Now, the scene in general, we've kind of seen, you know, like people have talked chess clocks and, and the idea of chess clocks, and we see it in Magic the Gathering, we see it in 40K. Age of Sigma traditionally has kind of said no 
but with no um, experience. We just hate the idea of chess clocks for whatever reason. Now, Worlds introduced it into this tournament, and I know there were some staunch um, people who are against it that may have turned into advocates, at least from other countries I've heard. What was it like playing with chess clocks? Because we haven't practiced really with chess clocks, at least in our tournaments, right? Thoughts on chess clocks? Should we start thinking about it moving forward? Any learnings from using chess clocks? Like, what's the what's the spiel here? And I, I'm going to avoid Clarky because I know you've done a, a, another blog as well. You've done a blog, so I'll let you kind of wrap it up. But Captain Mayor, give us give us the idea. What was your experience with um with chess clocks? Yeah, so the my first game using one was in the Ashes event. We, I didn't get time. I literally picked up my chess clock from the uh, the post office the day I was leaving, so I had no experience with it. Um, in that first game, both Darren, my opponent, and myself had neither used it, so we were kind of really uh, antsy about it. And we'll we're making sure, like, we're really nervous. We're trying to punch through the game and. Essentially, we both finished with about 50-odd minutes on our clock when we finished our game. So we realized, oh, okay, so we don't need to do that. Um, so once the once the event started and we actually played some games, it was actually really easy. It was you. whenever it's your turn to roll a dice or make a decision, the clock's on your time. Um, as soon as you've rolled your dice and it's your opponent's turn to, say, roll, save dice or, or make a decision, you just you just hit the clock. Um, we, we had quite a lot of time in this event. We had, uh, an hour 40 each, I think it was. Um, so it was a lot of time. You don't, you wouldn't get that in a normal event. Uh, cause that, that's, that's a lot of like in a normal event, you may be getting an hour. 15. Yeah. yeah. Hour 30, maybe at the most. Um, but in saying that, the time included your setup as well. You're setting up your army, you were on the timer as oh. well. So it wasn't just gameplay, it was set up as well. Total um, time. Yeah, what yeah. Like redeploy. Like, for example, it's your turn, Matt. Yep. And no, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm thinking yeah. about doing a redeploy. Like, you're, you're, yep. you're on the clock. And so what happens do I have is to declare? If, if you move your models um, and your opponent doesn't say anything, you just keep moving. Uh, essentially sometimes you would think that they were going to redeploy. So you'd move your model and then you'd ask them and then you'd push the clock. And while they're thinking about answering, it's their time. Um, then they, they say no, and you just click the clock again. Um, but if they decide to do it, then yeah, it's on their time. And same with um, like when I was playing against pink horrors, when I was killing pinks and they were splitting, it was their time on their time to replace the models, not my time. Um, so, yeah, essentially every time you have to do something, it's on your time. Um, uh, making a decision for heroic action, it's on your time. Like I pick my heroic action, I click the timer, it's on your time. Yeah. So only one game of mine actually went to time, um, and that was one of my opponents playing Legion of the First Prince. He had a unit of 30 pink horrors uh, or 20. I can't remember. It was quite a lot, but he timed out. And I still had about 20, 20 odd minutes left on my clock. So what happens when someone times out is they cannot do, essentially cannot do anything for the rest of the game. They cannot attack. They cannot move, do battle tactics, whatever, but they can roll save dice. So once you run out of time, all you can do is roll save dice. Uh, So then it was only one more turn of the game left and I I got to play my turn and and finish the game. I I was going to win the game anyway, um, but... 
that was the only game that went to time for me. And most of my games, we still had plenty of time left. Like I think a lot of people were worried about running out of time and and I think some people were worried about the clock as well. And there was quite a few games where people were forgetting to push the clock and their opponent was then using up their time. Um, but it's just something you get used to. I think if you want to try and bring it into a local scene, I don't think it doesn't need to be done at local tournaments, I don't think. But I think if you're going to look forward to maybe Masters and stuff like that, I think it could be definitely something that could be used. Like there's nothing worse than having a game at Masters be called it the bottom of turn two because one player used up all the time and the other player had no chance, you know. Like I think something like that's a bit unfair on some people. And even in normal tournaments, that can be unfair. But I think in a normal, normal tournament setting, you've got a lot of people that aren't there to be super competitive either. They're only there for fun. So making them play on a chess clock's a bit tough, I think. I was having a good debate, and I'll go to Auckland in a second. I was having a good debate with um, Gareth Thomas in, in Discord, you know, big advocate over on the West Coast. And one of the things we kind of both agreed upon was that, you know, day one, you probably wouldn't use chess clocks. But at a regular GT, when you have people who are 3-0 and o currently and in contention to win, you may introduce chess clocks for the top tables, the people who are in contention. But then the question I have is, well, are they the people that you've got issues with timed anyway? And yeah. I would probably say no. I'd probably say they're not the people who are – they know their army. They've practised a lot. They are sharp. They're, they're finishing their games on time. It's always like that middle of the pack. So, you know, I, I've got some interesting thoughts, and I don't think we've quite got a solution yet. Aukman, any thoughts or anything you want to add or challenge – from using yeah, I think, uh, I think just to, to join what or just reinforce, I think uh, what what the, the biggest um, uh, learning for me that it just makes the game much more fair. And uh, just to give you an example, I had a game when first to turn was super uh, quick, so we had plenty of time. And so when I had some tough decisions in a late game, I was just very very easy to to spend my time. Uh, because I knew I have I had time, so I can take a time, or maybe you can maybe you can take a walk, whatever. It's your time, and and I think in some way it makes the game less stressful, and and uh, because if, in a normal tournament if you just take a walk, that would be really odd, right? Like like you you play with the time, but it's it's your time. You just do whatever you want to, you want to do, and I think it was somewhat even liberating in in some sense. And I had some uh, practice before, so it was not a problem for me, but uh, I also. Um, what I would add that it's really a good thing for competitive tournaments, but what I would suggest to also to use even a chess clock or just there are some applications on your phone for um, uh, beginner players. Because for instance, I had I, I I'm also running some tournaments locally, just very small one dayers, and so and, and I realized that some of the people get very slow. But if you just when you play at your friends, just put the time to unlimited five hours for a game, whatever. Just simply the fact that uh, when you play and you realize how much time to spend on sometimes on small decisions, five, 10 minutes on, on, a, on a minor decision, it's really like, oh my God, why I'm doing this? And once you learn this, next time, even if you don't use chess clock, you will be much faster. So what I would say that maybe use it only on the super competitive tournaments where it's important to be super fair with the time, but definitely try to use it just to recognize how much spend you, you spend time you're spending on 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 maybe sometimes silly things. So I think it's 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 very good to to try it. 
Yeah, I think, you know, to your point, you know, the, I've had plenty of games and I was always worried as a tournament organiser with third edition, right? There's so many more decisions, whether it's redeploy, um, I have to choose battle tactics, there's so many things, heroic actions, there's so many things that I need to do that that will just create more decisions. And when you're under the clock, you're going to come to, and a good players do this already, but they ha already have an idea of the battle tactics they want to use through the rounds. They know when the best times are and what the triggers might be to use other battle tactics as opposed to sitting there going, right, I've got 10 options if I do this. And you sit there with analysis paralysis. So having that, that and, I've, and I've been there where someone sits literally for five minutes trying to work out what the yeah, battle tactic exactly. is. And then we get to turn three and like I'm going really fast and it shouldn't be on me to rush my decisions because it took you 10 years to, to play the game. And look, uh, I'm usually okay with it and we can work something out, but being on the hook um, does make that decision making process, but also the practice and preparation just even more important. Clarky, what would you say? Uh, what would you, what would be your, some your synopsis of the chess clock discussion uh... from your blog? So that that wasn't that wasn't actually my blog. That was uh, Dave's blog, I think, on that uh, one. So um, I did I see didn't do the full analysis there. But the um, I, I actually like them. I was a bit hesitant initially, but I like them. And I, I want to go back a little bit of a step and some of the other stuff we already talked about. There was a lot of things done pre-event that smoothed out the points of friction. So if I think about where are the points of friction? There's points of friction on certain niche rule interactions that GW are not clear on, causes tension with players, call the TO, sometimes things get heated, okay? We eliminated nearly all of that by having a comprehensive fact beforehand. There's points of contention um, on dice, or is that dice cocked or not, particularly when it's like a six on a priority roll or whatever. You eliminate points of contention by pre-agreeing flat on the pitch. And chess clock, uh, a timeout event is pretty rare in the Australian scene, but it does happen one or two times every event and sometimes gets a bit heated and contentious because it could be somebody pushing to quite high in the tables um, based on the result of a, a timed out game. Um, take a chess clock, it removes a point of friction and a point of tension from, from the event of Again, we don't have it much in Australia, but we've all been at an event where there's been a little bit of an ugly moment between two players. I had it. I had it at Sydney GT. Something. I had it at Sydney it, GT. They weren't at the punch up level, but it was <laughs> this. It was speeding speeding up things yeah. and and it created tension. Versus taking chess clocks, you've removed a point of friction that is going to cause an a potential ugly moment. Um, yeah, so I'm a fan. I'm I'm sold. Look, I'm a fan. Yeah, my, my my closing comment here is give it a try. Mm. I think give it a try, see how you yeah. go. Would I would I do it at my local one day friendly local game store? Learning a list, probably not. But if I was preparing for a tournament, I was going to a major event, and I want to get better and faster and sharper. Maybe maybe I do, or at least I measure as Orkman said. I measure my own actions and I just look at my own clock to make sure that I'm not being mm. too slow. And, uh, you know, I'll also add here, not just from a player perspective, but from a TO perspective, those points of contention of, okay, the game's timed out at round three TO. Can you make a judgment call of who would have actually won this? Uh, if the TO imposes chess clocks, you've taken a world of headache off your own, uh, off your own plate um, as well. 
Matt Orkman, anything else you want to kind of say on the chess clock um, discussion? Oh, that's that's it. I think, yeah, I, I yeah. love it. I think it's uh, look. I think it's a good it's a good way forward. I, I don't know what you're saying, coach, about not having it in the first couple of rounds at an event. I, I don't know if that works either because you know if you're a top player and you come up against a really slow player and and you lose the game because of it, that could really hurt you know the rest of your tournament as well if you're wanting to, to finish high. Um, I think if you're going to have it at a tournament, it'd have to be every round, but it's one of those things. I I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon at at Australian events, but who knows? Someone might want to have a go at it and, um, and make their event official with a, with a chess clock. And Mm. I think once people have played with it, I think you'll actually realize it's not the end of the world. Like I've seen a lot of comments online about this in recent weeks about in the last week about how this is going to ruin the game and it, you know, it's the end of the world. If we play with chess clocks, like we're ruining the fun and, and war age of Sigma is not meant to be played like this, but you know, we're not playing narrative age of Sigma. We're playing competitive age of Sigma. We've already got time limits on our games, which, you know, the rules don't stipulate time limits. So essentially I think it's something we should try. And I think I'm on board with everyone else at the event. They, um, most people were skeptical on it, but after the event, I don't think anyone at the event reckoned it was a bad idea. Like I think everyone actually liked the idea of it. Uh, my comment comes from if I think about the average tournament, right? I'm talking a, a major event. There's only a subset of people who actually want to attend and win the event. I think I'm thinking about the fat middle, and I think the fat middle are not interested in the chess clock. But then at the same time, that's where I find the issues are mostly happening, right? People who are not practicing and preparing, they're taking armies like Gitz or Skaven or lots of, you know, lots of models and it's taking them too long to deploy. It's taking them too long to move. And that's where time is running out. It's often not the top table. So I, I think to your point, and I think it's kind of where I was already at, give it a try. Yeah. See how you yeah. go. I, I think it's crazy to kind of get rid of them and not use them without even trying. Yep. And so. at the end of the day, we've already got time limits at events. Like yeah. it's, a, it's just another time limit. And it might make, it might make players, especially people who take lots of models, um, practice more, um, be sharper at those decision-making cause deploying and even getting tools like movement trays and things will help a lot. And it's not even armies with a lot of models. Like armies like LRL that don't have a lot of models, it's like their hero phases just take forever. You know, they've got so many different Zinch. spells and abilities. Zinch, yeah. So it's not it's not just your 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 spam armies like Gits. It's um it's a lot of armies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I do yeah, find yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. horde, horde armies, but you're right. Like there are other armies that are quite complicated, but yeah, like it's good, good that we are at least open to chess clocks. A couple of final questions to kind of wrap this up. I think we could talk forever. So first off, thank <laughs> you so much. Uh, and also thank you to the TSN and French War Game for, and also the, the AOS Worlds in general, who put on an incredible event uh, to the broadcasters, people are sharing photos. Like I was going through Twitter today just kind of getting photos and like i showed a whole bunch of photos there's just so much cool stuff and there's i'm sure there's there's cool stuff that i've missed um i just want to bring up the photos again um what you know we did have our winners we had england we had france and we had sweden um what were some of the things that you learnt that maybe you wish you knew you would do differently next time um 
was it, you know, like, was there anything in particular? I know you mentioned the matchup and, and not quite factoring into battle plans. Did you have like off meta lists? Like, was there things that maybe you should arrive earlier? It's kind of like just a general open question, like lessons learned. Um, Clarky, I'll go to you first, then we'll work our way up. Yeah, probably my my two big ones. I wish I had have arrived two or three days earlier. I, I think I was still fairly jet lagged into into day three, and uh, I did think it impaired my decision making a little bit. Um, so definitely arrived a bit earlier. I probably ideally would have loved to have come with Matt and Dave and did a week long tour through England and and Nottingham first, but for a variety of reasons didn't do that. But uh, that that's one lesson. Second lesson would be. Uh, I took uh, I took a jank list. Uh, it was a bit of an off-meta, somewhat experimental list for reasons, and um, and it didn't quite pay off ultimately. So I think uh, when you look at lists like England's list, France's list, um, uh, in particular the uh, gold and silver medalists, they were just pure, absolute top-tier filth. No room for jank. No room for anything. Maybe maybe my man Darren had a little bit of jank in his Seraphon, but frankly, you could just take a random bunch of models out of that book and, and it's going to be S tier, so it doesn't really matter. Um, Sweden did, however, uh, sneak onto the podium with at least two off-meta janky type lists on, on the other hand. But, yeah, for myself, I took a jank list that I didn't quite practice enough with and was a bit too off-meta and, and it didn't quite pay off for me. While you talk about meta, how was the Aussie meta versus the international meta? Any any things that you learnt kind of from, from that perspective? Uh, I, I don't think it was much different, to be honest. Um, yeah, the, the top lists were the, as sort of known to be the top list globally, and at least in our Aussie chat, we we were analysing the big events in the last, at least the last year, whenever there's an event, okay, who won, what they're running, whatever else. And so no big surprise when we saw things like the... The England and French list, you look at it and go, yep, that's no big surprises there. I think probably the one thing that I noticed is, um, so I'll be chatting to Richie from the Team England next week. And, you know, I don't think Australia really has that Fire Slayer player. Like I know Joel McGrath plays him, but like I think for some of the things that we have, there's not a lot of players who are really good playing the really good. So I don't think we get to see the best of the best in certain of the high meta factions. At least it's my experience, right? Like, like, do we have a top LRL player? Like well, an absolute, so, like, so just to count, counting your, your fire slayers, uh, we had Chuck on the team for a while in old AOS two, and he was he went six old CanCon with fire slayers, and had originally intended to run fire slayers back in three iterations ago. Um, and we do have Joel McGrath and Nathan um, Thompson both both playing the current even this weekend. They're both playing pretty similar lists to. Um, to the England list with the, the Magma uh, Dragon spam. Um, so, yeah, LRL is a bit of a lack in, in Australia. No one's really playing the Fox Sentinels, that absolute horror show list of Fox and Sentinels. <laughs> no, I, don't, I think nobody has uh, has enough... Um, the stomach. Uh, 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 yeah, they, don't, they, they just don't want to have to deal with five rounds of being shamed for taking well, it's a, yeah it's a bit of tall pop it's a bit of tall poppy syndrome right like yeah. australians don't want to run the 50 archers and the two foxes yeah. like it's a bit of an eye roll um yeah but in england it's same, same like, with seraphon we, we have we don't really see the bulk seraphon lists like uh, some major events in in england uh, i think one of the big events in the lead up 
there was like 10 Seraphon lists and they, they, they all come in the like top 20 of the event or play against each other. We just don't see anything like that in, in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's one thing that really separates England from the rest of the pack is that the amount of events that they have almost like on a weekly basis and big events, you get a mm. lot of exposure to a lot of the top armies in the hands of a lot of top players very quickly while we I, are so far few between, and we're growing, it's getting better, but and I think, we're growing. I think a common observation nearly all of us made, and, and Matt may have made it earlier in the chat, is every game was a table four, table five game. So as fairly top-tier players in, in the team, um, a lot of us are, the, the um, you go to an average Australian event, and, and unless you get an unlucky Perry versus Matt in the round one, Generally, you're not going to run into matter till round four or five after the sort of sortings have kind of worked themselves out. And so kind of only playing the really hyper-competitive in round four and five. And so the first day is often not quite as sharp as as maybe the world's event is. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't say that too loudly or we might start talking about ELO in tournaments. <laughs> Orkman, what was your what, what are some of the things that you've learned and picked up? Yeah. Uh, so, so I believe um, uh, the meta, I think, is very international. So all the information is out there. So um, I don't think that there was any, there was a few of meta lists, but most, most, most of the lists were kind of what we were expecting. And on my behalf, I think it's, it's quite funny that my experience is maybe quite the opposite what Clarkie had because uh, when I joined the team and I, I, I was really honored and, and I preferred also the responsibility. I wanted to bring an army which I'm very familiar and maybe, you know, like I brought Iron Jaws, um, which was uh, maybe a kind of uh, an army which is easy to figure out. It has some, some nice tricks and, and play, but uh, let's say if I, I go to the singles, I will bring some big or some more funky, janky element which can maybe surprise uh, people off. So I guess it was maybe easier for our, us to pair but also the opponents was also very easy because everyone knows how iron joe's works uh, and operates so maybe uh, my experience was that maybe i should have uh, but this is also f about the steam structure which is super important how it fits uh, to the team but maybe i should have be <laughs> leaning more to the jank so it's that's why it's a bit funny that clark said that maybe it's not bring something more uh, conventional uh, so I guess the, the best would be to bring some sort of unexpected list, let's say a bit janky, but practice a lot in a, in a very, very competitive games, and that can really pay uh, dividends. But uh, ultimately, uh, it, it was fun. And uh, and I think it's you can't even, um, I guess, for instance, I get some questions, but do I, would I change the list, which is typical after a singles event, but I, I don't think I will change my list. Maybe I will bring another army, but that's, again, we need to start from the scratch and discuss what army fits to the, the team. But uh, I think the list did what they did. I'm not 100% uh, <laughs> satisfied with the results, but that's an, another story. It, it's always the case, you know, um, like I'm having this discussion, I'm going to a tournament next week, right? And I'm playing Daughters of Cain. Do I bring a second high gladiatrix? Do I take the Blood Viper? And I think they're both great options. It's going to depend on matchup dependent. If I go to this tournament with my Blood Viper and I don't play Nurgle at all or Deepkin, then it's a complete waste. But if I if I do, then I'm a hero. So it, it's obviously hard to reflect on. And it's the same as, you know, any GT. But 
um, I, I'm hearing you. Like you can't just run all of the net lists because top players have practiced against those really strong lists yeah. and have figured it out. So you do need a little bit of jank, but obviously not too much that if it goes pear shape, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes you just have to take the bullet. Matt, what did you learn? Yeah, um, so I, I think I learned that we probably would have been a lot better off to have a coach, um, have someone that can walk the tables and if any of our players need help, they can just call upon and have a timeout and have a chat about where the game's at. Um, I think in round, uh, what round was it? Round three against America, um, I had three timeouts during my own game. I, I was – oh, no, that was, I, I'd finished my timeout? game early. What's a, what's, what's a timeout? I'm sitting <laughs> so, here – so, Sorry, sorry. Yep, sorry. So with the with the chess clocks and everything um, and with the team event, you can uh, call a timeout. Um, it's on your time. And you can call over a coach and or your captain, which I was both. So it called me over. And your player essentially asks you, you know, how's the rest of the games looking? Should I continue to push hard for a for a possible strong win, or should I take take it easy and try and just get a win? You know, like there's a lot of questions. And then there, then you were asked like um, a, a few times. I was asked during a game like they've just won priority, for example, and um, asking what they should do. Should I take priority? If I do, what should I do? And, you know, I, I rock up to the table. I have a look at the table, ask, you know, what's the points? Um, whose turn is it? Uh, what battle tactics have you got left? Uh, and I'll, being a someone that knows the game pretty well, I can look at the game table, just a fresh set of eyes, for example, and say, look, maybe you need to go that battle tactic, bring it down there, take the, take the turn, go for that. Uh, kill that unit or if you're giving it away um, for example in one of Fabs's games I told him to burn a certain objective um, and after the game he come up to me and said I wasn't going to burn that one but by burning that one it won me the game quite easily Um, he was going to burn another one and he probably would have lost the game because it was marking territory we got to hold all three Um, but so essentially I think yeah in, so against America, I had three timeouts where people I had to go ask and, and help them out during the game. A couple other games, I, I just had to take my own time out of my own game to go and help them. Um, and essentially, I was just playing because I took Ideneth with not a lot of bodies. My games were quick anyway. Like I didn't ever, I ne- was never running out of time in my games. Put it that way. So yeah. I, like I when I, when I talk to people at the event, I was I was being told very quickly you you um your games were finishing either you're winning quickly or you were losing quickly. Um, yeah. But I think it's interesting, right? Because like to rewind for a second, there is that coach role, and the coach mm. isn't allowed really to interfere with games. So it's not like you're a bystander for the whole tournament and like whispering in the ear. There's these certain timeout moments, and I know. Some some other coaches had other things, right? I think it was at the French or the Welsh or there was someone with like a trolley cart giving out food and water and beers and yeah, um, yeah. just generally looking after the well-being of the players as well as those timeout moments where you can kind of just not step in but like give give a player a hand in a limited time. Yeah, and yeah, and so you, maybe you, they've got to ask yep. you. Yeah, yeah, Pete, yeah, go. Yeah, go sorry, just off. just a very quick comment. 
what they also did, uh, and especially French who were super organized, they made notes. And I think it's it's not something we, we should underestimate that you can't interact like as a coach, but you just mm. wander around, make some notes, and uh, after this you can analyze the game. And uh, and obviously they're also doing that uh, before in the practice. And I think it can be really huge because yeah. uh, quite often you just don't recognize some certain behavior or practices you have and it just very easily you can fix it and you are on a, a better level uh, and that is at least can be really huge absolutely i want to add two things to that at a personal level uh dave finished one of his games a bit early and he, he kind of watched my game on something and then uh, over a beer at night there he pointed out well clarky you do this and you do this and maybe don't do those absolutely invaluable insight because you can't see yourself the coach can see yeah. you just like this uh, and that was that was the improvement. The other one I want to point out around the French, the, the almost professionalism, uh, sports team professionalism of the French coach. Um, I had uh, breakfast with him on um, on the Saturday morning after they'd, they'd beat us on the Friday and, and we were the only two in the breakfast bar and had a long chat with him. And the way he was saying how they go about things, including having their assistants take notes and do a debrief at the end of the round and at the end of the night around, okay, Turn three, Jimmy, you should have done this or you should have done that or whatever. It was very much almost like an AFL or a soccer sports team mentality of continuous coaching and continuous improvement. And and I suppose that's that's the level that the French are trying to play at and how they're approaching this. And that's ultimately why they're silver and really going hard to, to threaten England for the gold. And, yeah, it's, it, it, it's very impressive there. Um, operational model to be a almost professional type team. Yeah, like I, like I, uh, I chat to the French war gamers a little bit, and you know, I, I had them on the channel, and I, like I, I would tune in, and it was what surprised me was I went onto Twitch at the time, and the TSN network would have about at least every time I would log in, we'd be about five hundred people would be watching at any given time, or at least when I logged in. I would look at the French counterparts and they'd be on 2,000, 2,000 people watching their stream. So I don't know if the community is just crazy popular, mm. if it's just come down to like the French speaking people. So maybe the Canadians, the French Can Canadians and other, other communities coming to a native French speaker or whatever it might be. But absolutely, you look at those photos and look very professional and certainly someone that's going to be, you know, very much challenging those podiums. And very well may actually take it over, you know, in the near future. But um, I, I did hear a lot of great stories about them. But I think, are you going in as a team just to have fun and roll dice and do really well? Or, and I think probably one of the things that I'm sure you're thinking about now is for the next 12 months until the next tournament, how do we get the best team? How do we best prepare them? How do we build the right lists? How do we stay on top of the meta? Um the things that the Americans did, the Americans um, hired a house literally for a week and everyone flew in and they had a, a practice week of, of, um, of gaming. You know, how often do you as a team meet up at tournaments and practice and the, the group talk? And there's just so much that goes into obviously creating a great team to get a great outcome. And I think we're only scratching the surface, right? You know, we talked to it's Tom Wolfley, for example, like he would just have an industrial amount of knowledge that he wouldn't tell us because that's his. <laughs> yeah, it, it's no. hard for us. Like it, it's we're a huge country, and it, it's very costly to for us to try and we're, travel around and catch up. We didn't have a single player from the same city. 
Yeah. Um, like Clarkie and Sam were the closest, you know, That's two, hour, and a half. two hour drive. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, and, you know, I'm not making England, excuses here. We're not making yeah. excuses. It's just no, the, the no. reality of what it's going to take to yeah. build a professional top tier team. Yeah. And TTS that, the, was great. Yeah, the French are the example. The French and the English, obviously, gold, silver. The French have a different model of how they did it to the English, but the English caught up for games days practice and, and they were much tighter and they've been around for a, a long institutional continuous history as well as a big team's culture in the English scene. Uh, and the French do have a very different model. But, yeah, if, if Australia wants to be going for podium, where we have to take some lessons and adapt them for us to... Um, to to compete at that level. Yeah. So to finish what I was saying about what I learned, I think, yeah, we, we definitely need a coach for the team. I think you need that, that extra person. I know it's hard that, you know, it's hard to ask someone to fly across the other side of the world, spend, you know, $3,000 on flights and more on accommodation just to go to an event to be a coach and not play. I think that's really tough to ask someone to do that. But I think after being at this event, I think it's something that needs to be done. Um, and as far as uh, my list went to, I think everyone has, like my list I think was a bit different to other Ideneth lists. And after talking to all of my opponents, they all had me as green matchups, um, which kind of helped me in my, <laughs> which worked in my favour quite a bit as well with, with my games, um, which I guess, that's what you kind of want when you go a little bit off off meta with your pick, um, with your list, uh, and catch some people out, which doesn't always happen. But I think I got got a bit lucky there with my list. Then let's let's do two last questions. The first one yep. I want to go back to what Clarky kind of said, and he was alluding to, and that is if Australia wanted to be a top team, a podium team, what would it take? What do we need in order to to become a podium team? We just need our. If we could take our top top ten players, yeah. Yeah, if we had our our absolute top ten of Corey and um, um, two uh, Joels, the both Joels, like Dave, Matt, um, like we've got our absolute best, and I didn't play against anybody over the event that I'd say was like wow, any better than Joel or Corey, and Joel and Corey have smack me enough or, or Dave or Matt. Um, uh, those guys have smacked me around enough in real life at TTS to, to have a feel for what the very best are. And, and our absolute pointy end tip of the tip is is world-class. Put that to a side because, you know, getting someone to be able to leave their family or have to have like, unless we find like a financial backer that's going to pay for this. Um, obviously, that they're, they're going to be limitations on people. Isn't going. that what your Patreon's for, uh, Coach? You're going to sponsor the team next year? <laughs> Malta. Outside of that, outside of that, uh, is there anything else that you think maybe now that you've got the knowledge of worlds that you could probably enhance the team by doing X? Mind you as well, we had a whole bunch of heavy lockdowns like New South Wales. I had like five months of heavy lockdown where there was literally no game. So some countries have had a really good head start on third edition. Anything else? Uh, I, honestly, I don't think so. I, like, I don't think we were that far behind, to be honest. Um, I know we were behind England, but 
<laughs> if we just if we cast England and France out of the out of the top two and look at everyone else, I think we were as good as anyone else there. Um, essentially, like we we only just lost to third position on the ladder. So, um, and a couple of teams that finished higher than us, we beat as well. So, I don't think we were that far off. Um, I think I think it just essentially like as Clarky said, it, it comes down to taking your best players that you can. Um, it's just being in Australia. I think it's really hard to be able to get everyone together and play games like practice, like what they do everywhere else. I think that that just lets us down. But I think TTS was great. Like we got a lot of games in over TTS and practice lists and and all that. So I don't know what apart from getting a coach. Um, I think experience now too. Um, and as we talked about earlier, maybe if there was more teams events in Australia, that could obviously help us. Uh, I feel like after this event, I have a lot more experience, and I think I could do a better job next if I was to go again. Which I've sort of said I'm I'm not, but if I was to go again, I think I'd have a a better understanding of matchups and probably prep our matchups before the event a lot better as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's a hell of a lot that we could do. The, the reason I ask you this is because Australia being a large country is already a limitation and material is not going to change that at all. It's always going to be a limitation. So it's like, well, what can, what's, what's within our control that we can start doing within the limitations and whether it is more TTS focuses, if it is encouraging <coughs> more team events locally, whatever we could possibly do. And I think, you know, like Lex has made a good point. You know, I, I, I would probably agree with what Lex has said. I think it takes more than 10 best players in any given country. You know, there's so much more. There's the, the personality mixes. It's um, there's, a, there's, there's a lot that goes into a champion team. And just to say practicing alone is only part of the battle. But I'm sure there'll be more reflection and, and more discussion and more, you know, for Matt, if you're not going next year, you know, how do you pass on that knowledge that uh, you have gained to the next leader? Because whoever does the matchups next year, it's going to be their first time. So it's almost yeah, like it's... how do you build that knowledge and those systems over time? And obviously that's hard again with, um, you know, where I live and stuff and being able to catch up in person. So definitely would be doing stuff online and, and, you know, maybe over Skype or something and, and, and take them through some matchups like that and well, and just teach them what I, I've learned es- essentially and, and go from there. Like, Well, maybe it's also like finding three or four different events through the year and it's a must attend for everybody. You know, everyone yeah, goes yeah. to goes to everyone goes to the Sydney GTs and the Runaxes and the Vic GTs and whatever it might be. It's like joining the team, you must attend these events. And then there's TTS, there's other events, you know, subsidiary stuff. That it is uh, that it makes it hard too in that sense. Uh, like I know my wife, for example, was uh, was dead against me doing other events while I had this world's lined up because she knew I was going to be going away for this huge event. And then obviously the cost. Like if you're just if you're paying five or six grand to get to worlds, and uh, it's going to make it tough to then pay. Sometimes, like a, a tournament weekend, can cost you five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars in Australia. Like by the time you pay for flights or accommodation, everything else, like it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to have to go to four or five events plus worlds, um, it can become quite costly as well. It can. Yeah, it, I mean, it's I mean, difficult. I'm scaling back my local events. 
Like I'd love yeah. to go to more domestic events, but I'm going to get LVO and I'm probably what I either want to go to worlds next year. Or I want to do something in Europe, but you know, I can't do that. Plus all of the other events, you're right. Yeah. Um, finance has kind of come in that um, anything else that anyone so wants? Clarky, Aukman, Clarky. No, nothing really down there. Uh, you, you just indicated, uh, Coach, that um, you may be interested in Worlds. Uh, big question back on you. You've asked a lot of questions on us. If you are at Worlds, do you apply for Team Australia or Team Malta? <laughs> I think I think for me, you talked about uh, what drove you to apply for a team, and I think national pride is something that I would love to represent Malta. Uh, I am half Maltese, like my father is Maltese. I'm dual citizen. Uh, I'm very proud Maltese person. Um, I think if the opportunity arose and the travel and the, and the location, I think definitely um, that would probably be my preference. Yeah. I think Australia has some great players and I don't think Australia needs me. Talking to the Maltese people and talking the fact that they don't have any two days, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that I can offer to that team. So, and I can always come back to Australia later, but as you said, Australia is in good hands. That's where I'm at. Yeah, full respect for that. You're, you're a dual citizen. You got that heritage there. And the Maltese guys were, were awesome and, and they were great. Fun yeah, to play great. Round one. And um, yeah, that, that definitely benefit from your coaching and skill and experience as well. I think, I think, yeah. And at the same time as well, like, you know, like my intentions and something that I've learned over time is when I go overseas, I don't want to be the best of the best. What I enjoy the most is hanging out with people, chatting. You know, I, I obviously want to do well at tournaments, but I'm not vying for the top table. I don't want to be pushing against England and France, as cool as it would be. So, like, with running a YouTube channel and the, the commitments that you guys have shared, the TTSing and the tournaments – I don't know if I, as a, as a YouTuber, I can handle that. I think I would have to downscale what I do on YouTube quite significantly. I couldn't attend most of my TTS tournaments because it happens overnight because I'm normally recording content on a Saturday and a Sunday. So, and like, I'll get a divorce. So I think there's some things I've yeah. got to like, I've got to accept. And I think that again, that's probably, I'm probably not in a life stage right now where I could commit wholly to Australia. Personally speaking, yep. as cool as it would be. But if you want to pay, pay for me and come over as a coach, happy to do so. But I think to your point, you know, do you want to spend seven to eight grand to fly over? Hang on, were we talking to the not other play? way? That was your coach was sponsoring us. Never mind. I think so. <laughs> Last question. We'll will you, will you, yeah, nice try. You need to up your patron a bit more if you want me to be paying for you <laughs> sponsoring sponsoring the team. Um, last question, uh, and that is, um, yeah, and by the way, like Lex has also said, you know, mad respect to Australians and also the Americans, right? Like anyone who traveled a significant, uh, the Canadians were going to, and unfortunately a few things happen in Canada. Um, there's, uh, you know, anyone who travels significant uh, distance to get to Prague, Kudos to you, you know, absolute champions for doing that. Um, but would you attend next year, uh, or, or, or maybe better question, would you attend in a in a subsequent year? You know, you know, if the time arose and you had the finances, is this something you'd go to again? Orkman, I'll go to you first, then Clarky, then Matt, because Matt's okay. already kind of told us a little. So, for me, uh, you, you you don't you never say never, but I think the the mer mer mercenary years are uh, <laughs> over for me, but. Uh, I will definitely like depending on the 
location, I would like to go to a single event just to meet up the people. And uh, as, as I kind of mentioned, I really tried to set up a, a Team Hungary. And uh, first, I'm not that ambitious, but maybe we can go to some smaller team events across Europe, as I mentioned now, kind of opening up this international scene. So maybe a four or five teams events, and maybe later in a couple of years, once we have a, a foundation, maybe we go as a team Hungary. So that will be the dream, but definitely going to the singles is, is, is on the agenda. That's awesome because I've heard rumbling that Japan is thinking about running a team. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard Singapore might be throwing a team across the pond. New Zealand might come. I think worlds next year could have the potential of 30 plus countries. I think yeah. if the world is in a good spot uh, and obviously, you know, COVID version 7.000 million, whatever it works out to be. Um, I think we're for okay. I think this could be, this could get. Yeah. I think, large. I think it, this event was very successful uh, from, from, from every angle. So, it's definitely give a big boost to the whole community. So, yeah, much more to come. Fingers crossed for Hungary. Clarky, where are you at? Will uh, you apply I'm, again and why? I'm I'm absolutely definitely applying at some point. Um, uh, and I look forward to playing against Dorkman as uh, captain of Team Hungary in a couple of years <laughs> as he builds up his scene. Uh, so I'll, I'm subject to obviously uh, continuing to perform locally sufficiently well to justify a slot on the team. Um, uh, I, I'd be keen to um, go back next year. Exactly is going to be up to family and, and other commitments and, and other timing. But um, if it's not next year, it's I'll, I'll be putting my hand up for the year after. And that, that could and be one of the Australian things. Maybe there's a cycling of people on and off the team over a couple of years cycle just due to the cost. And that's why I said to you, uh, you know, would you go in subsequent years? Because maybe, you know, spending like 10 grand uh, might be a bit much every year, but maybe every two years, you know, um, it could, yeah, you're right. Maybe there could be a rotating thing. Um, Matt, would you go again in future years? I know next year might be a challenge and I can appreciate that. Would you go in another year? Oh, look, hands down, I'd go next to you if, if the wife allowed it. Um, just with Lotto. Uh, as, as, you, as you were just mentioning need a sponsor. before, just need Coach. A sponsor. That's uh, not me. That's not me. The, I don't think that the money's not really the issue. It's uh, it's more the family. Like, as you said before, Coach, you'd end up divorced if you tried to do everything you wanted to do. And it, it, I feel sometimes it's a bit the same way. Like, even with events in Australia, I find it hard to, to get to a, that many. Like, I get to only maybe three a year at most. Um so I, I, at hands down, I'd go next year. I, I'd love to to go again. I think I perform well enough on the team to to probably get a spot again, um, depending on who applied. But um, yeah, in subsequent years, if you know if things change at home and Mrs. says, yeah, you can go again or whatever, you know, like at the end of the day, I, I'd love to. I'd love to do it again. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'd I, I'd want to go back and try and and get a better result for the team. I guess try and get a. a a podium finish and i and i have heard that um the location for next year is up for grabs there's a couple of countries that could be could be the location i think i've heard spain and netherlands and finland i think there's a I, i've heard about five different locations that at least putting their hand up and i guess if um <laughs> if it was like spain spain for example i reckon it'd be an easy sell to the wife like hey let's go let's go to spain <laughs> Uh, and you, I don't know, have margaritas or something for a couple of days while I go play with my war dollies. I reckon that's an easy sell. If it happens to be another country, it might be a little bit harder. 
Yeah, it's hard when you got like I've got three young kids um, as well. So, like even like the missus could have came this time around, but it was you know having to leave three kids at home for a couple of weeks and with you know family and that it, it's really tough on her. And and then when she did stay home, having to look after kids. So even yeah, I guess it. And then it, if you take your partner, then you're paying for flights for two people. Like everything you do, like you. You, you know, um, you might spend five grand on yourself, but then you, your holidays costing you ten grand. Like it's, it's doubling it, it, everything you do. It's just doubling straight away. Then so yeah, it, it's not easy. It's tough, but you know, if everything, if all the stars aligned and everything was a go, I'd definitely go again next year. Cool. That sounds like a great thing. I think everyone in the world's chat in my Discord who attended would absolutely go again. They absolutely love the experience. People who are who are watching like me from afar wanting to now get in, they're like, yep, yeah, cool, next year might be a lot better. I'd love to apply. So if, you, if you're listening to this and you've hung around and you've listened to these legends talking, thank you so much to all three of them. Um, I would, if, if you're interested, I would inquire with your country. I will probably retrospectively go into the description and I'll try to grab as many of the Twitter handles I can possibly find. And I would reach out. I would reach out to my country and I'd say, hey, I'm interested in pl- applying for Austria. Um, what does it take for me to be in the Austria team? Um, and they would probably share with you some more information. They might have a website. They might be able to tell you what they're looking for. And maybe they tell you that in order to get in there, you need to podium at at least one event of 50 players. Like at least it gives you a benchmark to work towards. And each country is going to be different. But um, I hope this is inspired or at least interested in got some people curious on the world scene. And again, I'll give a, a massive shout out to the AOS World Council. Uh, I'll give a massive shout out to the TSN and the French War Gamers for, um, for the streaming and all of you for just sharing your wisdom. So Matt, Poyta and Clarky, thank you all. Uh, any, any shout outs that you want to make before we kind of wrap this up and I go to sleepy? <laughs> Uh, Matt, I'll go first. Borderline yeah, Gaming, just, come on. I want to. Well, I want to shout out Borderline Gaming. I want to also shout out um, the team that we took over. Uh, I was very impressed with everyone, and you know, we had a good time. We all became good mates out of it all, and um, yeah, it, it was really good. So, thanks a lot. By the way, before before we go on to the others, would you ever consider like a like a ANZ team, like Australia New Zealand combined? Well, or? we tried to do that this year. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. So I'm definitely looking into it for next year because New Zealand are going to struggle to get their eight players. Um, That's why I asked. Yeah. So that'll definitely is definitely on the cards for next year. Yep. Cool. It's already been discussed. Yep. (laughs) Pointer, Orkman. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Let me shout out to my buddy, Jolly Blade, who who was my number one training partner uh, and sometimes suffered from my orcs um, but uh, very bravely and also without naming names just shout out to all the tts people who was uh, following the events or i just met uh, i really love love all of them so thank you for putting all these events on tts so we can cool. shout out to what owen oh, jackson run tts events uh pask run tts oh events. yeah so many uh, stewards uh, also involved in so yeah just even metron on tts events. so there's just so many things around yeah yeah and and by the way if anyone's interested like tabletop simulator my server is pumping with games uh it's a great way to meet the international community so uh and it's a great way to get practice outside of the weekend so you know 
big love to go 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 learn TTS. I don't think it'll ever replace the the plastic, but it's a great no. complementary tool that will support you to be a better player, get you more exposure. I know there's plenty of people that tell me that you know their community doesn't have like a, a Lumineth player. Well, cool. There's plenty of them online. Go get experience with them. Clarky, bring it home. Who are we right. shouting? So I, I, I want to thank, um, first off, thank the organisers of Worlds, if anyone's watching. Incredible event. Just great work. I want to thank the, the associated media, so TSN, Honest Wargamer, Coach Yourself, um, and any other content creator that is pumping and, and building this community. There is a, a tipping point happening with the way that the sport is evolving to, to really really bring it as a global community together. And I think Worlds was, is the, the premiere of that and it, and it works well. And the final shout out for me is, is a thank you to, to all my teammates and, and team captain uh, across Australia, Team Australia. It's um, It's been an honour and a privilege to work with you for the last six months or some years like Matt for nearly three years to, to get to the end. And um, yeah, I know you're all sick of me writing my long-form essays in the group chat about uh, every tiny nuance of the game, but uh, thanks for persevering through all that. And, um, yeah, love you guys. So the, so the Australia team was uh, Matthew Tyrrell, uh, Matt Michael Clark, Sam Morgan, uh, Dave Kerr, Alex Cron, Stuart McGowan, uh, McCowan, uh, and then Poiter and Fabian Quinn. So that was the Australia team. And again, all of the teams are on the AOSworlds.org website and you can see who it was on the teams and um, and also the list. You can see the list. You can see the players' packs. You can see a whole bunch of things that we've kind of talked about and we've only kind of screamed the surface. But thank you so much for this amazing – I said to you guys, I'm like, oh, this would be like 60 to 90 minutes. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Apologize to your wives for me. Tell them you're with a bearded man. Uh, yeah. I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for hanging out. Much appreciated. Poitar, Matt, Clarky, thank you all. And uh, I'm going to play the outro. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank Thanks for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that video interesting and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would appreciate it if you hit like on the video as well as left me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. The conversation will continue over on Discord, so links down below in the episode description if you want to join the Discord and continue the Age of Sigmar conversation. I want to give a massive shout out as well to these absolute bloody legends, these champions who have continued to support me through Patreon or YouTube members. That is going directly into supporting the maintenance and the growth of this channel. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. And until next time, roll more fixes.